0: Welcome to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring coast-to-coast AM from December 1st, 1995. From
1: the high desert in the great American Southwest. Guess what, everybody? It's Friday night, Saturday morning, and uh, it's going to be a very eclectic kind of show this morning. The kind so many of you seem to enjoy. It will be repeated uh, Sunday night, Monday morning, so if you don't get it all tonight, you'll get a chance to get it then. So it's going to get a lot of exposure, and well, it should. My guest coming up is Dr. Nick Begich, an author, an investigator, a man who has written a book called Angels Don't Play This Harp, and he's sure not talking about one with strings. He's talking about the harp project in Alaska, and he's going to be up shortly. I have a urgent message for you from Stan Dale in Australia, courtesy of, uh, thank goodness for it, the um, internet, and it just arrived here, and we'll get to that in a moment. A little more business. The following just arrived from Australia. I'm going to read it to you. I don't want to scare you. Simply accept it for what it is from Stan Dale, down under. Art. I'm hesitant to announce the following, but I feel I must in light of the unofficial reports of magnetic field anomalies in California two days ago. The official report which I sent you says no anomalies occurred yet. I continue to get pilots' reports, etc., saying it did occur. For, that's very interesting. For For days, I have been watching three... Tremendous thermal changes grow in size off the coasts of Nicaragua, the Guatemala-Mexican border, and Baja, California, up to San Francisco. I've not yet posted these on my webpage because I wasn't sure what to say yet. Florida, the Bahamas, Chile, Argentina, Northern Australia, Southern Coast Australia, Adelaide, North Island, New Zealand, Romania, Bulgaria, Turkey, Japan, and Kamchatka Peninsula should all be on alert for action as well. Still trying to assess the changes here. Storms may be confusing the mantle's thermal effects along the east U.S. coast. For those who have access to my web page, use my home page to go to the Otis Thermal Change page of the U.S. Navy. Download the recent thermal anomaly imagery and look at the red and dark blue areas. These are where the next actions may be. I'm not sure of this call, but I think we have a problem here. Regards, Stan Dale. So thank you, Stan, and there it is for what it's worth, and that follows on the heels of a show we did about a magnetic anomaly here. It's really odd stuff. In a moment, Dr. Begich from Alaska. We'll go all the way up to Alaska to Dr. Begich. And we're going to be talking about HARP, and a lot of it relates to what we've been talking about, possibly what Stan Deo just talked about, uh, the, uh, usual, unusual weather anomalies that have been occurring, and, um, of course, the Project HARP itself. So, coming up in a moment. We're almost there. Uh, I need to get the rest of this out to you, though. The president in Belfast was asked by a 13-year-old boy named Ryan about the Roswell crash. (laughs) That's right, in in Belfast. Our president said that, as far as I know, an alien spacecraft did not crash in Roswell in 1947. And uh, if it did, the president wants to know about it. So there you are, a reference to Roswell while the president is in Belfast, and the following uh, came to me earlier today from Richard Hoagland. Dear Art, I hate to say, I told you so. No, he doesn't. It's in quotes here. I told you so. Now, why do you suppose, says Richard, that Clinton would bring up Roswell right after Dayton and in Belfast? Thoughts? Question mark. Signed, uh, Dick Hoagland. Well, Dick, I don't know. You did tell us. That's what I would say. Um, As background for Dr. Begich coming up here in a moment, we had a show in which um, we had these incredible reports rolling in about magnetic anomalies, uh, some coming from uh, people in... A very technical positions. We've had confirmation there's been a change in the airport uh, at Portland because of a magnetic change. And just this little tidbit to add to it all, Art, here is another tidbit, he calls it, in reference to the magnetic change. On local news here in San Diego, Channel 8, they ran a small clip on turtles that cannot seem to find their way to breeding grounds, and they're dying at sea. Scientists say it has something to do with water temperature. The water is warmer than normal off the New Jersey coast. This water change alone could have a meaning. But also the navigation system of turtles could be off because of magnetic deviation. Could it be? Check it out. So we continue to get these strange, strange reports of magnetic deviation. Could it have anything to do with HARP? Dr. Nick Begich, who is the eldest son of the late United States Congressman from Alaska, Nick Begich Sr., and political activist Peggy Begich, is known in Alaska for his own activities. He is a past president of the Alaska Federation of Teachers and the Anchorage Council of Education. He's been pursuing independent research in the sciences, politics, for most of his adult life. He received his doctorate in traditional medicine from the Open International University for Complementary Medicines in November of 1994. He wrote the first major story on the HARP Project, published in October of 1994 in Nexus. That's, uh, you ought to know that magazine if you're into this sort of thing an international magazine based in Australia. One mentioned, you'll recall, by Stan Dale. His research files on the project and related technologies include more than 400 documents spanning 80 years of technological developments. He co-authored the book with Gene Manning, entitled Angels Don't Play This Harp, Advances in Tesla Technology. So let's go to Alaska and talk to Dr. Begich. Dr. Begich.
2: Hello. How are you this
1: evening? Uh, Very well. Thank you. Uh, Thank you for being patient through all that. Um, I take it that you may know of Standeo in one way or another.
2: Yeah, I think I've read, um, in fact, I know I've read uh, a number of his articles, so I am a bit familiar with his work.
1: Uh, Where are you in Alaska, by the way? I'm in Anchorage. Anchorage, all right. Um. We had you on one time or in in the sense that Linda um, Did an interview with you Linda Howe right on a dreamland program about harp So I guess we need to begin at the beginning because there's a big audience here who doesn't get dreamland They don't know what harp is. I barely know what harp is What is harp?
2: Um, I'm going to kind of characterize it in in two different ways. First, let's talk about um, what the military says it is, and let's talk about then what what our research um, indicates that it is and and where we feel pretty confident um, the project is really headed. Project HARP, uh, the HARP is an acronym for um, High Frequency Active Auroral Research Project, Mm. which is a mouthful in and of itself. But it really um, is kind of a misnomer at the same time. I mean, it's it's really not so much about the aurora as it is the um, very upper portion um, of, of the, the layering of the atmosphere, if you will, to, in simple terms, the ionosphere, which is uh, between 50 miles and 620 miles above the Earth's surface. And this is the area in which, the lower portion in which, at least, is where the aurora takes place, and the upper portions... Um, are an ionized area where a number of varying um, effects occur, and it's essentially the shield around the Earth that protects us from incoming um, cosmic radiations, X-rays. And All so right, and,
1: and my audience ought to know I'm a ham radio, radio operator, uh, doctor, and it is that which allows people uh, at this time of night to hear KENI radio hundreds of miles there in Anchorage, away from Anchorage, as uh, the ionosphere I believe thickens, check me if I'm wrong, uh, during the nighttime hours. Um, these signals and certain frequencies at short wave are then able to, in effect, bounce off the ionosphere and come back to Earth. That's how AM radio stations are able to be heard at a very long distance at night. Basically correct?
2: Yeah, basically that's correct. And, and, and what essentially the military has been doing here in Alaska is, is experimenting with ways of of creating sort of artificial effects in the ionosphere and the things that they um, pretty openly talk about, in fact they very openly talk about first of all if if people remember um, a number of years ago in Wisconsin they were putting in really long antennas uh, on, on the ground running miles and miles which were to generate an extremely low frequency for communicating with submarines Right. what they're doing now with the ionospheric research is by modulating the ionosphere, they can actually create that extremely low frequency, cr- making the ionosphere essentially converting it from DC to AC. So what it in fact does... Wait, wait a
1: minute. They... Slow up. You're even starting to lose me. Mo- I understand the process of modulation. That is to attach, uh, as I un- have always understood it, intelligence to a carrier. Right. The and process. What of they're
2: modulation. using is a radio... Um, frequency transmitter in Alaska. It's a very high frequency um, transmitter, radio frequency transmitter, but it generates a very large amount of, of energy. What it, what it, in a sense, does. What they, in fact, call them. The military calls them ionospheric heaters because they generate so much power. But what they do is on the on the earth, they convert um, electricity to radio frequency and then right. through an antenna array.
1: I've seen photographs of it by the way it is how what kind of uh, space all these dipoles they have set up on the ground I've seen the photographs they are incredible how many of them are there how much space does this encompass
2: Um, it's probably on the order of um, 20 acres right now but the actual site itself that it's positioned on is a 5,000 acre site and it's designed to be modular and added to um, Mm. you know periodically in fact the first two phases of the project are con- were originally contracted to a company, Arco Power Technologies. And the first phase is complete and is um, operating in a test mode. And what these antenna arrays do essentially is they take the electricity, convert it to radio frequency, and then they send that up to the ionosphere. And the way you can visualize this, and this is a very unique feature in this particular ionospheric heater, when all of the other heaters operating in the world, and there are several, there's some in the Soviet Union, there's one in Norway, they're sort of scattered about. But when you look at them, the old technologies, if you visualize a cone with the narrow portion of a cone on the earth and the wide portion at the ionosphere, with the energy getting less and less dense as it goes higher and higher. Of course. That's the old technology.
1: Like a shotgun blast.
2: Right, exactly. It just keeps spreading out, and, and the impact gets less and less the further away from the source it gets.
3: Understood.
2: What this new technology um, has developed is a way to focus the energy so that it starts out with a wide, um, the wide angle at the base, which is this... Reason for this large antenna ray, and it oh. focuses the energy into a narrow beam, so what 's delivered at the ionosphere is it's really many, many, many times more powerful than what oh. previously could be done with old technology
1: at about what frequency are they doing this? do you know
2: um, I have it in the in, in the specs, but it, it 's it's a, it's a broad range, but that they 've been actually licensed, but the design gives them essentially the complete radio frequency ranges all the way up into microwave ranges, but they are only authorized in certain bands and I don't have those right in front of me where I can give those to you. Okay. But but essentially what what's going to occur and what they're doing now is they're focusing that energy up, they're creating a blast of energy in the ionosphere to create, first of all By pulsing it or modulating it Mm -hmm. in in a certain way, they create this ELF for the purpose of communicating with submarines. And since the very beginning, they've acknowledged that's one of the applications that the, that they, the DOD Department of Defense sees in this particular technology. The other application that they're currently have um, in the uh, federal budget for 1996 is what's called earth penetrating tomography. And to put that in simple terms, this is where they're going to bounce the signal. Um, they're going to create a plasma mirror, is what they call it. By sending the energy up into the ionosphere, they're going to create sort of an artificial lens. And then from another transmitter located in Alaska, near Fairbanks, called High Pass, they're going to bounce the signal off of that, that man-made plasma lens. Wow. And it's going to come back down to the Earth at a, at a coherent extremely low frequency, it's going to be running in the 1 to 30 hertz range, and with instruments placed on the ground or traversing the ground in slow-moving aircraft, they're able to to look, literally look down into the earth several kilometers. And what the intention is, and what this is funded under the United States budget, is under non-proliferation, counter-proliferation. All right, I
1: want you to hold it right there. I've got a million questions. Uh, We're at the bottom of the hour. Relax. We'll be right back to you and get into this more deeply. Dr. Nick Begich is my guest, author of, co-author of uh, Angels Don't Play This Harp. We'll be right back.
0: You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from December 1st, 1995. featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from December 1st, 1995.
1: Now listen, this is uh, kind of technical stuff, but don't let that uh, worry you. We'll keep Dr. Begich grounded, and I'll try and help as much as I can. Angels don't play this harp. It's important. It's about the harp project in Alaska, and it may not be what you think it is or what they're trying to tell us it is. One thing's for sure. It's fascinating, and we'll talk more about it in just a moment. You're back on the air, Doctor.
2: Okay, I'm going to try and keep it non-technical so those techno out there don't be offended, but I want to, I want right, to make right, sure right. everyone really understands what we're talking
1: Here's about. Here's what will help them understand, Doctor. Let's explain about the spectrum. Where does the spectrum begin? In other words, beginning with uh, audio, you, you know, that, the sound of our voice. And going up.
2: Okay, let me get a
1: quick reference out. Well, there in, in my, other words, my background is okay, well, I can help. Medicine. I can help. Um, our voice is one part of the spectrum. There are frequencies lower than uh, even that. But you, you think about it this way. Our voice is one spectrum. Where sound ends, radio begins. In other words, at uh, one hertz Radio begins, and it goes all the way up and then into the uh, short wave, uh, the broadcast band, uh, the AM broadcast band, then short wave, what's called short wave, then it goes up into the microwave region, and then eventually it goes into light. And that is the spectrum. Now, the area that you're talking about, HARP, you're saying is dealing uh, with frequencies between 1 and 30 hertz. That's very low.
2: As far as, the, as,
1: as, as for this particular
2: earth-penetrating tomography application, that is correct.
1: Well, that's very low, and that's also very interesting because I've heard, doctor, that these are frequencies that affect our biological beings. That's correct,
2: and that's what we're going to get into next because I think that's really an important area that people really, really don't really recognize what can happen here. And what and our research, and, and when we put the book together, we focused a great deal on the um, biological effects, the physiological effects of ELF, extremely low frequency.
3: Right. And what
2: what our research showed and what we found was a number of, of very compelling documents. We found um, some documents from the Air Force, the International Red Cross. The ones from the Air Force deal with the development of of... Radio frequency weapons that can be pulsed at a low low frequency, like what we're talking about here, for use in debilitating mental functions of troops over a battlefield area. Oh, boy. And the document that we found specifically was low-intensity conflict in modern technology, and it was put together by Maxwell Air Force Base in uh, 1986. And the particular sections that we were concerned about, indicate very strongly that these were these were where the government was in the 80s, in the middle 80s and, and early 80s, developing these kind of weapon systems. And when you think about the discussions in the press in recent years about microwave weapons and non-lethal weapons, they kind of skirt the microwave and they skirt the radio frequencies, although they're mentioned occasionally. In fact, we reference symbols in the text, the New York Times articles, that talk about those weapons on a very quick and cursory basis. But let me we, let
1: me try and understand. What uh, can you do? Can you describe what the physiological effects, or what we know about the physiological effects of very low frequency, uh, high intensity uh, RF? Uh, how does it affect the human being?
2: Okay. Well, let's talk about um, let's talk about mental function primarily. All right. And we can start with with research that goes back to the the 60s. There was a gentleman. Um, by the name of J.F. Gordon McDonald, who was a science advisor to Lyndon Johnson, and he was a geophysicist at UCLA. And what he asserted in 1969 was that by modulating the ionosphere at a very low frequency, mm-hmm. you could, in fact, um, debilitate human beings' mental function. In other words, create disturbances in mental functions, causing mood swings over very large areas. Now, this is as early as 1969. Then in 1970s, the big Mm no, big new Brzezinski, who was national security advisor to Jimmy Carter, wrote a book. And that book we referenced as well. And it was called, uh, Between Two Ages. And in that book, he lays out, again, this, you know, this technology that was coming. But at the time, there was not a way to get enough energy up to the ionosphere to create that effect. What HARP Mm -hmm. is and what it's capable of is getting that kind of energy density to the ionosphere and modulating it to create those kind of effects over a very broad area.
1: Okay, my next question may be uh, one you cannot answer. Are they able, do you know, uh, to direct the, uh, you say over a very broad area, they, they bounce this uh, wide then narrow beam at the ionosphere, off the ionosphere, and it comes back to Earth. Are they able to direct where it comes back?
2: Yes. Within, within certain perimeters, the way they, the way they do that is the, the ionospheric, um, or the plasma mirror that they create with that blast. Yes. The way the patents read, and see we found the 12 patents associated with this specific project, and those we describe very carefully in the book and we break out exactly what they mean, but with that mirror that they create, they have the ability to move it and focus it and direct it so wow. that that pulse energy coming off of it actually goes directionally the way they want it to go.
1: Oh, boy. So, in other words, um, if we were in a battle, uh, take take situation, uh, for example, in Iraq. Right. Uh, they might be able to actually focus low-frequency energy down on a battlefield full of hundreds of thousands of the enemy and create uh, mental confusion, perhaps um, uh, mood swings, as you pointed out, uh, in other words, completely, mentally demoralize the enemy. And doesn't that sound
2: like what happened there? I mean, the speculation that we've that we've heard, and it is speculation, that in fact they were testing these kinds of weapon systems in the Gulf War. And there's, in all likelihood, when you think back on the, you know, on the footage that was coming out of there, and and I mean, they didn't shoot back much. I mean, we had situations there where. People basically were confused and over large areas. But now, what only only one
1: is... little thing, though, Doctor. Um, there's a big controversy right now about a lot of our troops that are coming back. That's right. With uh, debilitating, uh, 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 mental, dysfunctional diseases and uh, physiological diseases, and nobody quite can figure out what the hell it is.
2: Right, and we, you know, we explore the physiological effects of when you take uh, low frequencies or specific frequencies that will resonate with chemicals that are already in the body, that may be in the body in in amounts that are considered non-toxic or non-lethal. Yes, sir. But if you hit the resonating frequency of those chemicals, you can, in fact, create a toxic environment that becomes unexplainable because (sighs) the actual levels of the chemicals aren't there, and yet you've sort of souped them up, you've amped them up in a way, and then you've created a physiological response or a chemical reaction, and then when you take the radiation away, you know, things drop back to normal, but yet you still have this chemical reaction that's already taken place. So, you know, that speculation is there, and what we do in the book is we document, you know, scientists that have developed that, that technology. We show where the Navy has developed technologies along these lines. We show where a specific um, researcher... Jose Delgado, working at Yale University for a number of years, in fact, almost a couple of decades, developed a way, using radio frequency, first with implants and later wirelessly, creating mood swings in animals and humans where they would go from basically almost a sleep state to high anxiety and and agitation and back and forth and back and forth,
1: like switching on a light switch. You know, this is going to surprise you, but over the past several days, Doctor, I've been getting faxes... We we have this whole magnetic anomaly uh, brouhaha. Do you listen up there? Do you get to listen in Alaska?
2: Right, and I and I have picked up some of that same same data. And and you know the the issues come to me, and people have asked, you know, could this be harp? And the answer is yeah, it could be, you know. But that's against all
1: speculative. Right, all right. But 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 I wanted to add to that. Uh, on top of the night we had all this magnetic anomaly baloney going on, um, I started getting faxes from people. You may have even heard me read one from people who said you know it's a funny thing we were in this wonderful mood and the other day and uh, on the very day the magnetic uh, business occurred and all of a sudden a light-hearted happy mood turned into a depressed for no reason a, and there was a whole group a depressed unusual strange mood just like that
2: yeah and that can happen but what it requires in order to happen is it requires an ELF in the low range, in the 1 to 30 hertz range, is what the research shows. And we point to that research in the text. The text has 357 footnoted sources. So as people roll through, they can actually go to those source documents and see for themselves. But when you're operating in that low frequency range, if, if it's delivered in the right waveform at the right re- frequency, you can create these effects. Now let's talk about what the military said when we interviewed them about the earth penetrating tomography application. What they know, in other words, them, looking
1: for underground tunnels and bunkers and so Right. Mm-hmm.
2: And it will, and they can do that. But they also are operating in that 1 to 30 hertz range is what they, what they acknowledge. And they said, but you know, it's no problem because we're operating when the, when the energy comes back to earth, it's essentially the same as what otherwise might naturally occur in the earth. The only difference that is is that it's coherent or it's rhythmic. But that's exactly the condition you need <laughs> yes. to create these debilitating effects. In fact, Jose Delgado at Yale showed that you only needed energy levels at 1 50th, 1 over five zero, of the Earth's naturally occurring energy strength, if you will. Uh-huh. The only difference is it had to be coherent or Pulsed. rhythmic.
1: Uh-huh. Modulated
2: pulse. That's right. And so here's, here's what we have. We have harp that's able to be directed over a very large area. Create conditions 50 times more powerful than what's necessary, and yet they're not talking about this. There's no biological scientists on the front end of this project, at least that that are attached to this project. I mean, we don't know what's behind the scenes, but we certainly have a pretty good idea. The way the the way the research unfolded and what we were able to find in the government records were, I mean, they're scary. But at the same time. What we tried to do with this text is deliver the information so people would know and could react to it in a, in a logical and, and sequenced you know, pace. And we use a lot of metaphor. I mean, we take a complex idea and we keep breaking it down so that no matter who reads this text, you'll understand it. And that, and that was the key because it's not like an oil spill that you can go wrap your hands around and feel badly about. It's radio frequency yes. energy. You can't all right. see
1: it, yeah. Doctor. You said there were other ionospheric heaters about the world. I, again, I'm a ham radio operator, and for years we suffered with something that we called the woodpecker, right? Which, um, uh, which was ostensibly an over-the-horizon radar uh, attempt by the Russians. Let's
2: uh, let's talk about that because right. that's one of the one of the additional applications that Harp has. In fact, the site that it's sitting on is the old site for the backscatter over the horizon radar that the uh-huh. military was putting together. Uh-huh. And they abandoned it, theoretically, after the Cold War, and then built you know, built this. And, in fact, one of the patents is for that very specific application. The only difference is this technology is even better, because the backscatter, the way it worked, is once things got close in, you lost them on the screen. That's right. This, this from the ionosphere, from the area in which... You know, satellites are just about operating in all the way down to ground level, including cruise missiles coming in. It can detect them without distortion from distance over the horizon all the way in to right on the transmitter site if need be. The difference is one of the other applications of this is it creates an energy field around each of those incoming objects that produces a real unique signature or identifying characteristic and those characteristics can be; they can then determine which objects might be carrying, for instance, nuclear payloads, or which objects are, are dummies. But again, they're they're doing it in a way where the energy is coming back and, in fact, impacting the entire population. So it's one of those applications that is within the documents. One of the other applications within the patents is a power beaming technology, which is which goes right back to some of the ideas of uh nikola tesla in the early 1900s
1: is this technology from tesla
2: it's fun, you know it, 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 it is and here's how it here's how it chases back when we when i first researched this subject it, again it wasn't my area but it kind of dropped in my lap and sure it was an important enough area for me to drop my work for a year in my other research and just follow this project and what we found first was these original patents by Bernard Eastland, who was hired by ARCO, Atlantic Richfield Company, which is one of the biggest oil companies in the world. Oh, yes. and he was hired to find a way to burn natural gas on the North Slope. And when, when he developed a series of patents for this focused ionospheric heater, and that's how he got the patent, was that, that very little bitty distinguishing characteristic, but was so profound, was being able to focus that energy on that basis, he was granted the patent, and which was assigned immediately to ARCO. And can, you,
1: can you tell us how that occurs? In other words, normally, uh, from a dipole radiator, uh, as you pointed out earlier, the radiation starts uh, with a narrow beam, and as it goes out, further it goes out, it spreads out. How do you technically reverse that process?
2: What they're doing is they're they're firing them in series, which is creating a cyclotron resonance. And so it's, it, if you think about it, it's sort of corkscrewing it up as it's focusing it. But it's a firing sequence that's unique to this heater. And the way they sequenced it, it created this focus, this focus beam, but it required a larger array and, and the ability to fire in, in a certain sequence to create that effect. And we had some radio um, engineers take a look at all of these patents and tell us, you know, tell us, will this work, how will this work? And then we pulled the original patent file, which actually diagrammed this effect that I'm describing. But in simple terms, it was the firing sequence with the antennas and the particular antenna configuration and design that created this effect. One of the other things that we found in those patents, and this is what really triggered my interest from the very beginning, is there were these references to two New York Times articles, one from 1915 and one from 1940. And I thought, you know, what the heck is a... New York Times articles referenced in a patent that's from the 1980s, going back that far. And the first thing that jumped in my mind is it's got to be Tesla. And when I pulled those New York Times articles, that's exactly what it was. And it was about his weapon system that people you know, still talk about and remember, which was this system that would melt engines at distance and would create all of these really highly unusual effects. And people equated it with particle beams and all different kinds of things. But those were the that was the stimulus for Bernard Eflin's genius as he applied it to this particular technology.
1: Do you think what they called a beam weapon then was focused RF?
2: I think probably so. It's just that you know when you look back at Tesla um, patents and the terminology used, I mean everything was you know evolving then, so the words just are confusing. You know I think maybe they're better than they are now because they sort of talk more about the effect. But I think that's probably probably what was going on there. But the fact is, it was the stimulus for Bernard Eastland to create this particular um, patent and then two others that went with it. And then coming off of that, there were other scientists surrounding this project, and they then took Bernard Eastland's ideas and using a much smaller um, antenna design, one on more of the order of what Harp currently is, and they developed these over-the-horizon radar effects, right. power beaming technologies. In fact, the Earth systems that were being experimented by Raytheon Corporation in the 60s, the same scientist that was doing the work then is now sitting at the University of Fairbanks on a project called SABER. Okay, reco- when,
1: when when you talk about power beaming, you're talking about sending actual usable amounts of uh, electrical energy in a beam.
2: That's right. And what, they're, what they visualize here is there are three patents. One is for the beaming system, one is for the reflector, and one is for um, a receiving antenna. And they look at it in a couple of different ways. One is suspending platforms in space where they can run these long-term missions by sending energy up. And the biggest handicap has always been being able to get enough energy up because of that problem with the further you go, the less energy gets delivered at a point. But all right, all
1: right. At, at that point, uh, we have got to stop our energy and turn it over to the news. So relax. You've got about seven minutes. We'll be back to you. My guest is Dr. Nick Begich, all the way from Alaska. He co-authored a book called Angels Don't Play
0: This Heart. You're listening to Art Bell, somewhere in time. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from December 1st, 1995. Networks presents Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight's program originally aired December 1st, 1995. Good morning, everybody.
1: I'm Art Bell. My guest is Dr. Nick Begich. He co-authored a book called Angels Don't Play This Harp. It's about a project in Alaska that you need to strain a little bit and listen to. For years, people have talked about mind control. This may be the real thing. We'll update you on what Harp is and what it might be doing in just a moment. All right. Um, I think that this is a wise thing to do. I know a lot of you are joining us, uh, San Francisco and others, at this hour. So uh, let us retrench. Uh, if you would like to send in a fax... Uh, with a question uh, for Dr. Bigich, who is in Alaska, which, by the way, is where the HARP Project is located. Uh, My fax number is area code 702-727-8499. 702-727-8499. And it makes sense to begin this way. Hi, Art. I missed the first half hour or so of your show. Could you please tell us again, please, Doctor, what HARP stands for?
2: Okay, it stands for the uh, High Frequency Active Auroral Research Project, and what it what it really amounts to is HARP is a is a very large radio frequency transmitter that sends an effective radiated power to the ionosphere, which is that upper portion um, between 50 and 650 miles, say, above the Earth's surface it sends up to 1 billion watts of effective radiated wow. power. That's wow. One gigawatt.
1: A billion watts?
2: That's correct. That's the effective radiated power. Watts. Now, the input power is less than that, but there's a factor of what they call an- antenna gain.
3: Gain, sure.
2: So what you get, according to the government record, God. is a 1,000 times antenna gain. So a megawatt in is a gigawatt out. That's at phase one. That's where this first phase is headed. Right now it's running at about a third of that power, headed for a gigawatt within the next 12 months or so.
1: Alright, uh, question. We had all these reports of magnetic anomalies. Uh, tons and tons of them. It went on for the whole night. Could the HARP project cause such an anomaly?
2: You know, that, that I've heard the same speculation, and, that, and it's possible. Um, it would take some, you know, you know, at this power level, it would take probably a number of unique circumstances. Things would already have to be at a threshold. But let's, let's talk about that, because this is where the root of our concern really lies with Harp. And if you look back historically, when you're talking magnetic anomalies, yes, sir. there's been four, um, uh, or actually three, magnetic shifts. Um, in the last, say, 80,000 years, you know, at one point, the, the magnetic north was sitting somewhere in the Yukon about 80,000 years ago. Right. It shifted out to just off the coast of Norway, and then 50,000 years ago, it shifted to the Hudson Bay Area, and then 15,000 years ago, approximately, it shifted to its current location. How it so uh, all caused that is, you know, subject to some speculation. Okay, I was going to ask
1: you: Does that mean, doctor, in your opinion, best guess, that magma is moving under the earth, or does it mean an iron core? Latest theory is somehow shifting, or what do you think might be going on to shift the magnetic poles? <clears throat> How can it happen?
2: It could be um, both of those factors, combination of those factors, as well as there's been some speculation that. A lining up of planetary bodies creates a, res- a resonance effect in terms of gravity waves. Yes. I mean, there's lots of different speculation, but the fact is, it does happen. Now, the question becomes, when you look around the planet today, you can. everyone knows the planet is releasing a lot of energy right now in the yes. form of earthquakes, Weather patterns are disruptive. It's not just the United States. It's yes. all over the planet. Yes, correct. And it's and it's increasing. I mean, when yes. you look historically back the last 20, 30 years, you can see a real clear curve on that graph, no matter what you're charting. You're it's right. getting worse and worse and worse. Now, the question is, here we are in Alaska with, a, with, with up to 1 gigawatt on Phase 1, a billion watts, 4.7 billion watts on Phase 2, and her desired level, according to, the, to government documents that we obtained to put this book together, they want to get up to 100 billion watts. My God. Now, the question is, where's the straw on that camel's back?
1: Uh, I want the, it, the average person out there, doctor, needs to understand how much power that is. Now, uh, the strongest AM radio station that I transmit on legally in the U.S. is the big ones, you know, like KOMO, and there could be a whole list of them, are 50 thousand watts and you just said at the top of the project they're going to be talking about a hundred billion watts
2: that's that's the desired level according to the government record that we found and that was in a, in a in a document that the government in the way they describe it even denies that the got document exists and yet we've got the copy of it they consider it an unpublished document it yet it's 613 pages long wow and in the midst of that is this little section that sort of lays out where it was from the working group sessions of the early scientific researchers that were putting HARP together. It was a HARP planning memorandum. And it was for internal use only. And we were able to get a copy of it. I don't want to really say how, but it wasn't classified. <laughs> it was just they denied that it was published and they said it was a technical memorandum and and we cite it in a book and we make it available um, to media when they ask for it, but what what you're talking about in those power levels is huge. I mean, when you're talking about um, even at the levels of say 4.7 um, gigawatts up to um, say 10 gigawatts, we we had Princeton, uh, New Jersey physicist uh, Dr. Richard Williams comment in our book, and the way here's how he characterized it. Okay, and this makes it pretty pretty simple, I think. They refer to, at one point to the need to go at least 100 dBWs. One way to visualize this power level is that a 10-billion-watt generator running continuously for one hour would deliver a quantity of energy equal to that of a Hiroshima-sized atomic bomb.
3: Holy mackerel. Okay,
2: and now let's talk about that because one of the applications of this transmitter also, is to create an electromagnetic pulse, or an EMP oh. And before the way those were created was upper atmospheric detonation of thermonuclear weapons. Correct. And they create this energy pulse that knocks out electronic circuits over a very large area. That's right. problem is, it's a little messy, okay, from a technological standpoint. But think about the rush now. Everyone's saying, okay, let's get rid of the thermonuclears. And you've got to wonder, what have they got to replace it? Well, this technology, according to the patents, is, is, is exceptional for that application. because they You're can saying they can create
1: uh, an EMP pulse right. without a nuclear detonation.
2: Right. So you have an EMP without radiation, and you can directionally direct it using ionospheric
1: mirrors. How narrow do you think uh, the beam width uh, at, at the point back on Earth would be? Do you have any guesses?
2: Um, well, they're saying like I, I think I, uh, my memory serves me, it's about thirty degrees.
1: Thirty degrees. All right. Well, listen, uh, everybody. Again, we're we're talking about radiation in frequencies between one and thirty hertz, which has a distinct uh, biological effect on human beings. It confuses them. It um, uh, we really don't quite altogether know what it does, but it affects the biological human being. Physiologically well, I think, I, affects I, I, you.
2: I think we do know what it is. I mean, it, okay. it, it, ob- it will definitely disrupt mental function. There's no question. The literature is clear and and we lay that literature out in a in a very pragmatic way as we approach it. And we only cite military documents and mainstream science, mainstream media because that's all you need. There's enough. There.
1: All right, what have you got? Have you got confusion? What actually happens to a person subjected at uh, at what power levels? At these frequencies, what happens to that
2: person? At 1 at 50th, 1 50th power level that would naturally occur in the earth, which is, you know, that's the power level necessary to create, say, mood swings, um, to create a state where you just can't think clearly, things are confused. And what you're talking about is it has to be the right waveform pulsed at the right frequency, and that frequency range is at 1 to 30 hertz. Now, if you think about, let me just go kind of go through... Where, where that's at, in the lower range, say, 1 hertz to around 4 hertz is a state that you're in when you're in very, very deep sleep. The next level, which is called FETA, which is running from about 4 to, say, 7 hertz, is, um, is, is a state that you're in sort of in a semi-sleep state. You might even hit some of that when you're awake. Alpha hmm. state, next state up. It's a good state for creative work, creative thinking, and then above that, above say 13 hertz, you get into beta, which is sort of an awake, alert state. But the higher you go, the more agitated you get. So as you hit 30 hertz as a predominant brainwave frequency, that's what you're doing when you're screaming at somebody at a very, <laughs> at a very
1: loud decibel, or either that, agitated. grabbing them by the throat and choking them.
2: Right, right. And so you've got this broad swing. But if you, and what happens is your brain waves with the right pulsed energy coming in will lock on to that and then you become, it's what's called brain entrainment, so the the frequency locks on and causes a response and that response works very quickly and was demonstrated at Yale University by Jose Delgado for two decades, first with electrodes implanted and then wirelessly using radio frequency Mm -hmm. as a carrier and pulsing it and his work continues today in Madrid um, at the University of Madrid in Spain, and it's it's well known that this effect occurs. There's um, a lot of literature that sort of lays that part of it out, but the biological effects, in in fact, if you visualize the human body, all right, and start the way Western science approaches it, we start from the outside, we look at body parts, then we look at body components, then we look at chemicals and cells, and then we look at nothing else, basically. But when you look at what we really are, you start at an energy level, then you go to an atomic level, a molecular level, a chemical level, a body part level, cellular, and so on, all the way up. So if you affect the energy level in a a way that resonates, that pulses at the same frequency or in resonance with chemicals within the body, you can create amped up, if you will, chemical reactions that then manifest as disorders in the, first in the cells and then later in body components and then in the body itself. So when you think about energy interactions with human beings, they're not detached. I mean, we are attached. And if you direct those in a certain way, you can create profound effects and the literature is clear. Now there's a lot of debate because people trained in, tradi- in traditional American medicine approach it from one angle. People trained in in um, physics, look at the human body, and they don't see any difference between physical applications in physics to human beings any more than apply to anything else. Right? All
1: right, and again, the military, to backtrack again, is telling us the HARP project, and I've seen the photos of the antenna arrays up there. Where is it located, by the way?
2: It's about 250 miles north um, east of Anchorage and about the same distance uh, southwest of Fairbanks.
1: Okay. Okay. Um, the stated goals of harp uh, they say it's certainly harmless to human beings, and they're suggesting it's to look for underground caverns and bunkers and whatever, map the underground and or to heat the ionosphere toward what end doctor
2: um they're saying t- for communication
1: purposes communication, but, but when you look at
2: when you look at harp, think of it. Think of this transmitter as a hammer, and you can build a whole lot of different things with that hammer, depending on the knowledge and, and intent of the operator. You can build that, that earth-penetrating tomography application, look into the earth. You can build the over-the-horizon radar application, which they talk about. You can build the communication application. interesting thing about the communications applications is at the high enough power level, they can essentially, according to the patents, knock out communication, land, sea, and air, while using the same system to carry their own communications. In other words, they can wipe out the radio stations that we're talking on tonight, television, every bit of communication, wow. and, and yet still and yet, carry their own. And, and yet
1: communicate with, say, submarines at sea. So they're they're creating modulated uh, EMP pulse right. that is destroying other communications while allowing their right
2: and we we found a document this one was a really a profound document and it's um one that came very late in our research but we did get it in the book and it was by the International Red Cross in Geneva and the text itself I'm pulling it as I'm talking to you was called um, expert meeting on certain weapon systems and on the impact Implementation mechanisms in international law, and it's from June of 1994. And this specific document was in, was very important because what it laid out is the various frequency ranges that you need for a number of effects using radio frequency or microwave weapon systems. And what when we had our our um, expert, if you will, in the radio frequency um, issues, look at that document and compare it to the Harp contract document. CARP will produce all of the effects I'm about to describe, which include biological effects as far as deleterious or negative, biological effects causing debilitation, loss of mental function, to um, bit errors in computers, that's where the the things aren't flowing right through the computers in such a way as that just are gar- all, all garbled coming out, to melting circuits, I mean this whole range of things based on how much energy and at what frequency ranges it's transmitted. So here's an international document sort of lays out that and it's the only document we ever found where it just so, it, it just matched. I mean perfectly matched with the HARP specification. So now the question becomes, and this is the question everybody asks, well, would our government do that? Well, let me tell you.
3: Oh, hell yes.
2: Yeah, they, they certainly would. And yeah, when yeah. you look back on the history, and and to quote a little bit, I'm going to pull
1: up... Uh, let me pull this up because it's... Well, the concerned. applications, possible applications for a weapon system they are so obvious that the question is almost not worth asking. Of course they would do it. Right. Of course they would research it. And I'm sure others are as well, but... Um, do they? The big question is: Do they know what the hell they're doing, and do they know what the effects will be? When they first detonated an atomic weapon, there were people who thought, fortunately, it didn't happen, that air molecules might actually ignite uh, or chain react, and we could blow up our whole atmosphere. Now, I'm not saying something like this will happen with HARP, but do they really know when they start pumping a, a billion? What is it? A hundred billion? Uh, a watts?
2: That's the—that's what they desire. What they have right now designed is for a billion watts. Headed on phase two, which the contract is led on, but not funded yet, four point seven billion watts. And then mm-hmm. it's modular. It's designed to be added to continuously. Right. What? What? The question is, what will it do? And do they really know? I think all of the scientists involved on the front end of the project, yes, probably don't see the big picture, because the way the military works, just like in the Manhattan Project that you were referring to earlier, everything is compartmentalized. compartmentalized sure. that. Do, do they know for sure what will happen? No. But the people running this program you know, are people that are in the business of making the best killing systems. So they're going to develop the best system they can. And when you look back on atomic research, they knew the effects of those blasts in Nevada, They knew what was going to happen all the way back 50 years ago. They just didn't bother to tell the American people about it.
1: All right, on that note, let's hold it right there. Um, Dr. Nick Begich is my guest. He co-authored Angels Don't Play This Harp. And uh, I would have to second that. Boy, is this ever fascinating. Hope you're tracking with us more in a moment.
0: You're listening to Art Bell, somewhere in time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM, From December 1st, 1995.
1: Government lie to us about a project like this? No. What a traitorous thing to imagine. Would our government experiment on us without our permission? It's never happened. It never will happen. Our government? Never. Right, Doctor?
2: Wrong. <laughs> we, in, in our research, we point to um, activities of the CIA um, with a number of experiments that they were involved with. Um, one in particular that's gotten quite a bit of notoriety was the LSD experiments on 8,000 military personnel without um, their permission or consent. Um, military experimentation up here involved um, in Alaska during, uh, during the Cold War injecting native Alaskans with um, uh, radioactive iodines without their permission or consent. Um, when you look at the atomic program in Nevada, they did the atmospheric blast, assured everyone yes. that everything was safe, and yet oh, yes. now, 50 years later, we found out that they know what they knew then. We know now. It just took us 50 years to catch up. What our book does is doesn't wait the 50 years. We found out what they're up to. We document it in a way that no one can deny and yet it's today, and it is and it is today in the sense that we can still do something about this project before it moves forward very much further. And I think the things that we're talking about and that we've talked about tonight, the idea of mental disruption, I mean, this hits the root of who we are as Americans, who we are as free people. When you can interfere with the way people think, you can forget about what we say, you can forget about the projection of what we might write, because if you can't think clearly, none of those things matter. So this is really striking and this is from my political background, this is what strikes me the most. The most profound thing is here's a technology that is capable of disrupting the way you know, the way we think. And yes. and going back to Zbigniew Brzezinski who wrote in the early seventies about this technology, projecting that someday it would come about, he said a more controlled and directed society would gradually appear, linked to technology. And then the quote that I pulled from his book was, unhindered by the restraints of traditional values, this elite would not hesitate to achieve its political ends by using the latest modern techniques for influencing public behavior and keeping society under close surveillance and control. Technological and scientific momentum would then be freed on the situation it exploits, unquote. This was the national security advisor to Jimmy Carter, and he was predicting this technology within the book that I had mentioned earlier called Between Two Ages.
1: You know, it's a funny thing, Doctor. I I recall some uh, early comedies, uh, and I can't recall the name of the show. It doesn't matter. I think it was Barney Miller or something. Um, where people would come running in and claim that uh, the telephone company microwave was causing their brain to go scattered and was affecting them, and you know they were total nutcases. And it's from comedy and science fiction to today's science reality, and this is really, actually, what HARP truly may be. That's correct. Now the questions I've got coming in by fax are as follows: uh, For example, and these these are really good uh, questions. Um, would you ask your guest, Art, if there's any way to put together a building or, and this is going to sound crazy, let it be so, some sort of helmet or some sort of thing that would protect uh, people from uh, this radiation?
2: Yes, actually there is. And I spoke with um, Dr. Patrick Flanagan, who many of your listeners may be familiar with, and he was one of our technical advisors on the project. I met with him a couple of weeks ago And and this question keeps coming up. And what he has suggested, and I haven't got a parts list, but I'll give you the descriptor as he gave it to me, is if you take a white noise generator, disconnect the wires that go to the sound output of a white noise generator, hook those leads into a power amplifier, Mm -hmm. on the input side of a power amplifier, and then on the output side of that power amplifier, if you connect... A, um, insulated, uh, wire, say stranded wire, 18 gauge, 16 gauge.
1: Let me stop you for a second. White noise, um, here, uh, to give you an example, if I can, if I can get it going here. That's white noise. That's simply, um, a combination of all noises coming out of, uh, a radio, right? When you're, it's not tuned to anything specific.
2: Basically, yes. And by running it through the power amplifier, and then you take the output side of that power amplifier, connect an insulated wire lead, and run that wire lead around the area that you're looking to um, insulate around the effect. And here's what's going to happen, is an ELF or an extremely low frequency, and this is helpful also for any ELF in the area, whether it's harp-generated or generated by um, normal circuits within your house. What it'll do is it keeps the... ELF from locking on to biological systems, because ELF in the range from, you know, one hertz up to about 100 hertz can lock on to a biological system and create a number of effects. What this does is keep it from locking on. The white noise, in fact, sets through the power amplifier, sets up a field that just disrupts ELF, and it keeps it from locking on. So it's an it's a way to insulate, at least within a confined area, against ELF. Now, Patrick is working on some things that might be a little more portable because you can't walk around with power amplifiers and and all of that. But that's, you know, that's down the road. At some point, we're going to put, we've got a newsletter coming out in January that's mentioned in the very last pages of the book, and we'll actually have a circuit design and the components so you can go to a local radio shack or electronics store, get those components and put something together on your own. And that's, you know, it's kind of something we want to make sure everyone is aware of as we get a regular parts list that makes it simple for people to deal with.
1: Now, um, what do we know about the present activation level of HARP? In other words, has the HARP begun to play yet? Yes, it has,
2: and they have run intermittently a series of tests. They started um, December fifteenth uh, last year, oh. um, which tends, which has been mentioned to us, correlated with a eight-state power outage. On the same day.
1: Oh, do I remember that power outage.
2: Okay, well, that was the same day they activated Harp in its first test phase.
1: I've got news for you. It was more than eight states. Okay. Um, it, they reported it in the press, I think, is eight states. But I did an all-night show on it. It's the damnedest show I ever did. It was like the show on magnetism the other night. Um, we got these really weird reports. I Suddenly, the power went out here. Um, and simultaneously it went out across, I would say, almost the western third of the entire U.S. and Alaska. And I think that's right, exactly what you're talking about.
2: Well, it could have very well have been harp. I mean, it certainly is. You know, it's, it's there, and what happens when you energize, it's following magnetic lines of force. So, you know, could it have been maybe so? It's pretty coincidental for all that to happen. But intermittently since then, they've run these various tests. Um, currently, what's planned for the winter is this earth-penetrating tomography, and it's kind of hung up in the uh, national budget. They have $15 million budgeted for next year for testing that application. And kind of, here's an interesting side note. When they went to the Congress to get the funding for this project, yes, sir. they sold that Congress on this counter-proliferation, non-proliferation application of the technology, and the Congress said to them in the Senate report, You can't have any more money till you make that a principal part of your project. And in effect, it delayed the project for a year, which has given, gave us time to finish our work get it out in front of the public, and is delaying it long enough for people to react. And maybe they won't get that second round of funding if enough people complain to the maybe,
1: Congress. Maybe. But, <laughs> you know, these kind of projects seem to find a way and a route and funding somehow or another through some black project. Uh,
2: that's And that's true. And let's talk about that real briefly, because the corporate chain on this project is really interesting when you talk about black projects. APTI was this little bitty subsidiary of ARCO... Um, Atlantic Richfield and and what they were was a 20 they reported 5 million a year in annual sales and yet the initial Harp project was 30 million dollars that was the construction contract that they won and they won it based on the proprietary or the special patents that they owned which were these 12 we describe in the book mm-hmm. what they then did is sell out that subsidiary to a company called E Systems which was featured in the Washington Post in 60 minutes early this year and late last year, oh, as being yes. one of the most secret companies in the U.S., it I has,
1: recall. Yes,
2: it has 2.1 billion dollars in annual sales, uh, most of which, 1.8 billion, is for security agencies, CIA, NSA, military intelligence, and 800 million of that are black projects, so secret even <sighs> the Congress doesn't know what they're for. Wow. And then E-Systems, interestingly, got gobbled up in April of this year by a company called Raytheon, which was Mm -hmm. at that time the 42nd largest company on the Fortune 500 list.
3: Oh, yes. And and is a major
2: weapons system manufacturer. In fact, the Patriot missile system is theirs. And they were, interestingly enough, one of the original bidders on the HARP project, and they didn't get the contract, but now they got it.
1: Oh, so they absorbed, uh, Raytheon absorbed the project.
2: Yeah, they basically, they end all the patents. They bought out E-Systems, which bought out APTI, and so they ended up owning the project Lock, Stock, and Barrel. And what this project is, and the way we can best characterize it, this is a ground-based Star Wars weapon system. It's,
1: it's going to get funded, Doctor.
2: Yeah, I think at some point it's going to, but people need to be aware of it, and people need to start focusing on what our government is doing, because this is just one more reflection of a government that's gone out of control and it's, it's being run by a bureaucracy that exists from administration to administration from political group to political group it doesn't matter whether it's Republicans Democrats independent because the underlying government is in fact the bureaucracy that stays for 20 and 30 years at a time they don't go away with administrations. they work these projects from start to finish over decades of time not tied to election cycles. Mm-hmm. but people need to realize that and people need to be conscious of it, and start looking they're going to jump in the game and get, a, and get a handle on some of these kind of projects. Well,
1: one wonders if they can even jump that high. Uh, Doctor, here is a question. Uh, Keith in Wisconsin, WLIP, does the Heart project relate to the ELF project here in northern Wisconsin?
2: Yes, in this sense. Is uh, and I read a press report recently where the, one of the local congressmen from their senators was suggesting that maybe they should... Defund that global well, geez, then what are we going to use well what we 're going to use is HARP because HARP is a much more versatile um, technology instead of having the antennas stretched out miles and miles along the ground or under the ground, they can now have a modulated ionosphere and create this huge antenna in the sky, if you will, artificially using this using this pulsed energy and these ionospheric mirrors so Is it tied to it in the sense that it's a better technology from a military standpoint? It replaces what is currently existing in Wisconsin.
1: All right. As a ham radio operator, let me ask you this. Uh, We watch, um, you know, if you listen at 18 minutes past the hour to the National Bureau of Standards, They will tell you um, whether we're subject to the A-index, the the K-index, whether we're having a magnetic storm, whether the shortwave frequency should be generally usable or going to be in trouble or what the situation is. Now, uh, over the past couple of years, many of my friends and and myself have noticed at times when there is no magnetic disturbance documented, and they watch it very carefully, the bands, nevertheless, can suddenly go dead instantaneously it's the damnedest thing i've ever seen you're hearing people from all over the world and suddenly you couldn't hear somebody next door
2: well you know these ionic heaters have been operating i mean they have one in turismo norway arecibo puerto rico which incidentally those two are being retrofitted to have the same antenna focusing ability really and then you look at the five transmitters in the former soviet union you look at um there's antenna arrays scattered throughout throughout the world and the and, and in fact in the research it shows clearly that they can create what what amounts to an artificial um uh magnetic, magnetic storm. storm i mean that's exactly what they can create and wow. I mean, the difference is it's controllable so they can again for commu- for knocking out communications deliberately, only by being able to pump huge amounts of energy and being able to manipulate that energy in such a way that, in fact, they could shut down everyone's
1: communication. All right, so they can do that at the power levels they're playing with presently, but you're saying that when it gets to the higher power levels, they can create an EMP, an electronic magnetic pulse uh, similar to that produced by the detonation of a nuclear device without the detonation of a nuclear device, and that could literally destroy computers uh, everywhere in the targeted area.
2: Right. And one of the things that we found is the the, um, uh, lab, the Phillips Laboratory, that is doing this particular work, we got a listing of all of their major projects, and a number of those projects deal with what are called hardening technologies, the idea of being able to develop weapons that aren't aren't affected by EMP. So at the same time they're developing a system to wipe out everyone else's systems, they're developing the technologies to protect our own. And all of that, you know, as a military application, people concerned about national defense, you know, we can all kind of embrace some of that. The problem is, on this particular project, it's all of those other effects that we cannot let go of. We have to remember what the biological sciences have told us and what they're showing us relative to energy's interaction with human beings and animals. And the issue of these these magnetic anomalies how much more energy can this planet absorb before there's another shift? And that's something that everyone is pointing to, whether it's from a religious perspective Could or it actually, a scientific perspective. Yes,
1: could it actually precipitate a shift?
2: That speculation is there, and there's also some research that suggests that it could. Once you hit a certain threshold, and this is what... J.F. Gordon McDonald said, as a geophysicist and a science advisor to Lyndon Johnson, in a book called Unless Peace Comes, he wrote a chapter entitled How to Wreck Your Environment. And what he shows is, and what he says is, that a very directed, pulsed electronic stroke in the ionosphere, a small input, can create a very profound and large output. And then he analyzes small inputs for large outputs in talking about uh, melting of um, the... the the, uh, um, a- Antarctic, he talks about it in terms of creating, um, earthquake activity, in terms of creating, um, mental disruption over large areas. I mean, the man in that chapter of that book, which is, which is available, I mean, you have to dig around. It's a 1969 book. But there it is. I mean, here's a guy that was one of the top white scientists of his time, one of the top geophysicists who studied geophysical weapons systems as a specialty who acknowledged then that once we had the technology for delivering the energy, you could create these effects. And we have that technology now in the HARP project and projects like it scattered all over the world.
1: How do the people there in Anchorage uh, and the surrounding area feel about all this?
2: Well, you know, really we're the ones that broke the story because it was so complicated, no one in the media would really jump into it. It took a year of research. We had to let go of a lot of other projects in order to focus on it, and really the word is just starting to flow out. Our book has only been out since Mm mid-September. It has gotten some good coverage here in Anchorage, and it's gotten good coverage throughout the state, and what we're seeing now is small groups of people forming together on their own to object to the technology.
1: I can imagine. All right, Doctor, look, we're at the top of the hour. Uh, I'm going to hold you over, and I'm going to turn you over to the audience. They've got a lot of questions. So stay where you are. Dr. Nick Begich is my guest co-author of a book called Angels Don't Play This Harp, and They Sure Don't. Boy, is this not some story or what? An update, and back to Dr. Begich right after the
0: news. Stay right there. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from December 1st, 1995. summer in time tonight featuring a replay of coast to coast a.m. from December 1st 1995
1: your attention please we've got a hot one going his name is dr. Nick Begich he's in Anchorage Alaska and he is co-author of a book called angels don't play this harp it's all about the Harp project and when you hear what dr. Begich says about what the Harp project is if it doesn't have your attention You're being affected already. All right, look, I've got a fax here that I'm going to read you. Not a fax, actually, but an email message from Stan Deo in Perth, Australia. Uh, Many of you have listened to the show for a while, know of Stan. He is a researcher. Looking into um, thermal imagery, uh, satellite imagery of the Earth. And he sent me the following, and I'm going to read it to you. I can't verify it is so or not so, and I'm sure he can't either. So for what it's worth, Art, I'm hesitant to announce the following, but I feel I must. In light of the unofficial reports of magnetic field anomalies in California two days ago, he refers to this program. The official report which I sent you says no anomalies occurred, yet I do continue to get pilots' reports, etc., saying, indeed, it occurred. For four days, I have been watching three tremendous thermal changes grow in size off the coasts of Nicaragua, which, by the way, is now spouting a new um, volcano, a very violent one. The Guatemala-Mexican border in Baja, California, up to San Francisco. I have not posted these on my webpage, because I'm not sure yet what to say. Florida, the Bahamas, Chile, Argentina, Northern Australia, Southern Coast Australia, Adelaide, North Island, New Zealand, Romania, Bulgaria, Turkey, Japan, and the Kamchatka Peninsula should all be on the alert for action as well. I'm still trying to assess the changes here. Storms may be confusing the mantle's thermal effects along the U.S. East Coast. For those who have access to my webpage, Use my homepage to go to the Otis Thermal Change page of the U.S. Navy. Download the recent thermal anomaly imagery. Look at the red and dark blue areas. These are where the next actions may be. I'm not sure of this call, but I think we may have a problem brewing here. Regard, Stan Deo, Perth, Australia. Stan is presently... ...at a wedding reception, or I'd have them on the air right now... ...along with uh, Dr. Begich, but we're going to ask Dr. Begich about this in a moment. There's been a lot of uh, technical information given to you in the last couple of hours by Dr. Begich. If you have questions or don't understand portions of, uh, of it or want clarification... ...or have other questions... Your opportunity to ask is coming right up. We're going to open the phones. Uh, first, though, I'm going to ask Dr. Begich. Doctor, the weather is very weird. The predicted earth changes by psychics and sensitives and all the rest of it seem to all coincide toward uh, what I call a quickening. I'm sure you've heard me mention it. Yeah. Um, is it possible that Project HARP is either responsible for or is accelerating uh, a process, uh, a natural process, underway? I'm asking a very broad question.
2: Okay. um, We actually dedicated about 50 pages of our text to weather modification applications of this technology. And And the answer is... Yes, it could, in fact, um, in, enhance or, or further what is actually um, otherwise might be occurring naturally. And something to you know keep in mind, and, let, and let's talk about weather modification just for a moment because we, we haven't even covered that in the course of this last couple hours. That's
3: right, yes. Uh, the,
2: the idea, one of the ideas was that, that what Harp could create is um, by forcing the energy up, and if you can visualize, pushing the atmosphere up at the same time, and then creating drag across. In other words, moving jet streams or weather patterns was one of the one of the original applications envisioned by Bernard Eastland when he invented the very first patents that are now being used in, in, in designing and, and having been used in building the HARP system. Right. Okay, so what you in fact do is by changing those jet streams, places that were dry become wet places that were wet become dry. I mean, you can do that kind of thing if you can generate enough energy to push things up. Now, another application that Dr. Eastland didn't speak to, but we've, we have seen references to and we cite those within the text, is the idea of creating standing waves that sort of block energy fronts or weather, weather fronts, if you will, and by triangulating a couple of these ionospheric heaters so that they hit, their energy hits at the same point thereby creating a standing wave that sort of blocks a weather front. And, there's, and, if, and there has been reports of these anomalous standing waves, and they were attributed by some people who were speculated that they were Russian, uh, former Soviet Union transmitters being used right. in that way.
1: All um, right, let me, let me ask this. Uh, could you, for example, uh, with it stall a weather front over the northwest, say, Washington state, and make it rain?
2: There is a lot of research that supports that, and I I believe the answer to that is yes. And if you look back to the history of the United States on weather modification, um, going back to the 50s and 60s and all the way up until 1976, and the reason 1976 is a key year, that's the year that over 70 countries signed an international agreement saying that, that they would not use weather modification techniques in military applications. In other words, by 1976, the technology had advanced enough for the U.N. to intervene and say, hey, wait a minute, we don't want these kinds of things utilized in a warfare situation. So then they defined the perimeters under which they could be used domestically. And then in one most recent report that we got from the Department of Commerce that was referencing the HARP project, trying to explain that the HARP project wasn't exceeding those perimeters, okay? They didn't say we're doing weather modification. They just Uh wrapped themselves around the international agreement and said, we're not exceeding it because it's not of the size and magnitude that would create these kind of anomalous occurrences. But the fact is the technology has been here since the early 70s and into the 60s, and they actually felt the need to sign that international agreement, to which the United States is is a signatory, and this particular project and projects like it that have the potential of crossing international borders. In the case of Alaska, those international borders are Canada, which is just a couple hundred miles from the Harp site, and on the other end, several hundred miles, maybe as much as 800 miles, to the um, to, to uh, the um, Siberian Soviet uh, Far East.
1: All right, you heard me read the facts from uh, Standale. And he watches uh, satellite imagery and looks at what he calls hot spots on Earth. Uh, I wonder if this mirror effect that you talk about, produced by a harp with focused energy, could begin producing Earth changes that would be reflected or seen by people like Stan Deo as heated portions of the Earth
2: Yes, I I think that's probably um, very possible because it's going to be a relative heat compared to the area around it. and I think that's probably how the imaging shows up. Exactly. And so, you you know, would it show up in that way? And I think the answer is yes. And going back to the geophysicists that we cite in our text, and we used a lot of advisors. I mean, we used atmospheric physicists, physicists, biochemists physiologists, radio engineers. Lots of folks proofed our work before we went to the presses to make sure that we were sound on the science. And all of those things are possible because the concept for people to keep in mind is that very small input can create very large output once a system is already approaching a threshold. And anyone who can see can't, can't deny that the Earth planet, as a planetary body is reaching those thresholds both in weather pattern anomalies, earthquake activities, we even show research where tidal activity is shifted from, um, in, in terms of the North Sea over a 30-year study showing that actual tides and actual um, wave heights have progressively and steadily increased in the North Sea. And we show the research, quoting New York Times, Washington Post, and other major media, Quoting you know scientific studies showing how that has been tracked and tracked over a long period of time doctor
1: I'm also tracking another uh, number of other anomalies that might be related. One of them is uh, the Antarctic, where a large chunk of ice and I mean large is beginning to crack
2: right, and that'll yeah. split that'll split that ice shield in half, and yeah. when that path slides into the ocean, they're speculating ocean height rises of up to 300 feet
3: that's right and
2: we're familiar with that research and when you think about the energy once it hits these magnetic lines of force up here in the in the subarctic and arctic regions yes sir it hits those lines of force and what they found is it then travels those magnetic lines of force all the way to the other end so the energy actually starts here, and then if you look in the back of our text, and I know you have it it there, there's a bunch of diagrams, and one of those actually shows this effect creating this envelope around the planet. But what it doesn't indicate is what happens when that energy already reaches an area that everyone knows is destabilized right now, and that's the Antarctic. It's at a point where what happens if, and if you look back on that geophysicist I quoted earlier, J.F. Gordon MacDonald, who was a UCLA geophysicist, science advisor to Johnson, he indicated exactly that. I mean, when you look at his work in, in the book, Unless Peace Comes, he indicates that a very small amount of activity in the Antarctic could cause that shelf to slide into the ocean, causing those ocean heights and basically flooding everything that's on the coast of every Next country. Next item
1: is, small indicator perhaps, but uh, fishermen in the North Atlantic right now are reporting... The doggonest thing they've ever seen, they've never seen anything like it, fish that are normally tropical, Caribbean area type fish, are showing up in the North Atlantic, and they can't figure it. They think it's got something to do with the warming of the ocean.
2: Okay, there's, there's two ways to look at it, and, and there's a lot of debate about this in scientific circles in terms of what causes animals to migrate. And some people say it's a relationship to gravity. Some people say it's the sighting of the sun. Some people say it's water temperatures. There's a lot of different speculation. But the most, some of the most recent and most provoking um, kind of speculation, things that we've seen, is that within the brains of fish and mammals, they found that magnetite exists, which is you know, this magnetic mineral. And what they're basically asserting is that perhaps that really what guides all of all of these biological systems in terms of direction mm-hmm. is in fact magnetic lines of force. And then when those get out of whack, animals are disoriented and show up in the wrong places or In the case of whales beaching on the shore, dolphins beaching on the shore, pigeons not making it back where they're supposed to go. That's right. All of that is going on right now, and how can it uniformly be explained by one thing or the other? That seems to be the only consistent thing in all of those systems.
1: No, but I'm I'm beginning to see see a pattern. I'm starting to see a pattern. In other words, all of these anomalies... Uh, do begin to show a pattern now. Whether it relates to what Harp is doing or whether Harp will simply magnify it, right? I don't know. Um, and, I,
2: and I think the magnification is the issue. But again, going back to what we said earlier, you have to think of living systems starting as energy, and that energy create, you know, has an effect. You have atoms, then you have molecules, and what what human beings are and what everything is is the outward. We our form is the outward expression of our internal arrangement of atoms. Which are absolutely impacted by every kind of electromagnetic energy form.
1: And in I, some way. I, and I want to say this again, uh, for those who don't think that they would be developing this as a weapon system, you all are out of your minds because HARP potentially is a project that could focus an energy beam of low frequency radiation bounced off the ionosphere and directed, uh, for example, to a battlefield where it could completely disorient. Uh, the enemy. At least that's the idea. And so if, if you could do that, it would be worth a hell of a lot of black budget money to go after. And,
2: and let me tell you something. The pro- the, where we show that particular application is in a document by Maxwell Air Force Base, and it's called Low Intensity Conflict in Modern Technology. And it was written in June of 1986 and can be obtained through interlibrary loan through most public libraries. But guess who wrote the, guess who wrote the forward to that? None other than Congressman Newt Gingrich.
3: You're kidding.
2: Nope. It's right there in the document. And, I mean, when you look at that and you think, now here's the guy who's the third most powerful man in the United States House. Now, when my father was was deceased, he was lost on a plane with Hale Boggs, who was at that time the Speaker of the House
4: here in Alaska.
2: Now Newt Gingrich, third most powerful man in the United States in terms of if something happens to the President Vice President, this sure. guy drives the truck.
3: Absolutely.
2: And here's a guy who embraces these what they call non-lethal weapon systems, Star Wars weapon systems, as far back as 1986 when he wrote the forward for this document. And this document is available. People can get it and look at it themselves. And when they look at those sections on creating artificial EMP and, and using radio frequency weapon systems for delib- debilitating Human beings, the military doesn't announce this stuff in advance until the technologies are far enough along to know they can apply them. And this is 86, this is 10 years ago. In this last decade, They have now got the most incredible delivery system ever anticipated by anyone, and that is the HARP technologies, what they're testing right now in the very early stages. All
1: right, Doctor, look, uh, we've laid it out pretty well. I promise, phone lines, we didn't get to them this half hour. We're going to get to them next half hour. Stay right where you are. My guest is Dr. Nick Begich. You've had it laid out for you. If you have questions, I'm really going to get to them in this coming half hour, I promise. Fascinating stuff. Angels Don't Play This Harp is the name of the book.
0: And uh, it's really appropriate. We'll be right back. You're listening to Art Bell somewhere in time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from December 1st, 1995. presents Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight's program originally aired December 1st, 1995.
1: Welcome to the program, those of you who join at this hour. Anything is possible tonight, anything at all. Who knows? But then again, that's kind of the way I like it. Angels Don't Play This Harp Subtitle, you'll like the subtitle, Advances in Tesla Technology. My guest is Dr. Nick Begich. He's in Anchorage, Alaska. He's actually near the HARP Project, as I am near the area called Dreamland. Doctor, are you there? Yes, I am. All right. You ready for a few phone calls? We've got to do this. Let's (laughs) go. Let's rock. All right. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Dr. Nick Begich. Where are you calling from, please?
5: Hi, Art. This is Ron in Memphis on WMC.
1: Memphis, Tennessee. All right.
5: You bet. Hi, Doctor. Hi. How are you? Um, I was thinking about uh, all the different uh, scenarios you set up here, and I had actually had two questions. Um, it seems possible with this technology that uh, you'd be able to focus an energy beam onto, like, an aircraft, uh, a ship, or, or even a submarine, and create the sort of force field, and that force field would be able to conceal a craft. And uh, if that's possible, it can man- maneuver uh, just about anywhere in the world undetected. Uh, does this hypothesis uh concur with the heart project experiments?
2: you know I never I, that's this is the first time that anyone's ever raised that so i to react to it i i I can't but you know it it seems that certainly there must be someone out there that uh that could react to that better than i i just I just don't know you know one and, and it kind of leads me to the next point is you know, a lot of the stuff that we were able to accumulate on this has been from people listening to us or reading something that we've written and sending something our direction. And we've been able to build, since we published the book, a pretty substantial file that uh, will lead to something probably down the road as far as republishing, because we are getting a lot of information. That application, I'll look for things as time goes on. I'm a fairly good researcher, and uh having... Having heard it, I'll keep my eyes. open. Well, it's actually not
1: them. that far technologically, um, using a lot of the same technology as was allegedly used in the Philadelphia experiment. Right,
2: and I and I have read um, some of the materials on that. So, you know, is it possible? Probably so. I don't think anything that human beings can conceive you can say is impossible. I think that we're we're, you know, that's kind so, of what we are. You know, we're
1: answer is things. it could
5: ultimately be any. Uh, the other question caller. Uh, Art, yeah. Um, actually, that leads into my second question. Uh, so remember, Doctor mentioned that there's a there's a HARP array located in Puerto Rico.
2: What it is is it's called it's at, at Arecibo, and they refer to these as ionospheric heaters. HARP is the specific
5: ionospheric heater located in Alaska. Oh, I see. Well, uh, then we were, uh mentioned the Philadelphia experiment, and I, I sort of put the two together and came up with the next question as if uh, there's a lot of magnetic anomalies and uh, mysterious weather patterns that are reported in the Bermuda Triangle. And right. I was just curious if there was if uh, any previous experiments that may be related to this project uh, may have actually been tied to maybe some of the mysteries surrounding the Bermuda Triangle. All
1: right, we'll hold it there. That's a pretty wide one to jump through, but.
2: Uh... You know, the, the fact is, if you look at where they're located, you know, there's, there are anomalous occurrences there, which, which again would indicate that you have an area on the planet that's already got some unique characteristics Mm -hmm. that are unusual that are different from other places so what happens when you add energy into a system like that
1: good question you know
2: your guess is as good as mine could it is it going to create a lesser effect I doubt it
1: All right. with respect to protection uh, could you please ask Dr. Begich what power levels you would need with a white noise generator to be effective in other words would it need to be X number of watts for X number of square feet of protection?
2: You know, that's, again, the person that I got the information from on how to to link it up, what basic components, was Dr. Patrick Flanagan. And we are going to publish that in newsletter form, and everyone that has gotten a book will get a copy of that. Perhaps when we have the actual circuit design we can get that to you, art, and you can get get that to the listeners because we sure do want people to know the specifics, but if you've got an electronics background, you can configure what we described earlier, the power Absolutely. level. I'm just gonna have to get it for you and get it back to you
1: all right, um that would be important um from Alaska, right up there by you seventy five miles north of harp is this is why is this why we have only three or four inches of snow here normally. We've got five or ten feet by now, Lee, from Summit Lake, Alaska.
2: You know, that, that's come up because here in Anchorage we're, we're dealing with about an inch of snow but of really cold temperatures, and that is unusual. Again, in, in this specific case, I, I don't think so. It's, I don't think it's directly related to heart because it's been on intermittently, and I just don't think so, but... You know, is it is it creating a worsening or a, uh, or is it enhancing an already a naturally occurring weather pattern? Maybe. That could very well be.
1: All right, west of the Rockies, you're on the air with Dr. Nick Bigich. Where are you coming from, please?
4: Seattle. Seattle. Yes, sir. Hi. Um, I uh, happened to see an article was it back in the 70s in a kind of kind of a tabloid magazine. It kind of had some different things, but it mentioned geophysical warfare. And they'd first observed some stuff in, whether southern Germany, where that people had naturally become affected by uh, the weather or the electromagnetic field around in the area. Has there been any research as to the various types of uh, behaviors that can be caused by um, EMF? Or- right.
5: y- yes, there
2: has. And when you speak about geophysical warfare, that's not a new concept. At Haskem Air Force Base in Massachusetts, it's sort of the hub of geophysical warfare um, research and experimentation. As well as there's a lot going on uh, in Los Alamos, which you know is kind of the black box uh, capital of the world. But you know there is a lot of that going on. But as far as th- those those subtle effects that low levels of energy can create in, in in biological systems, that's well known. And what happens? Here's here's the interesting thing. There's the Navy, which is a joint partner with the Air Force on HARP specifically, they've catalogued over a1,000 international studies on the effects of low levels, what they call non-ionizing, non-heat-producing energy levels of various types um, from the electromagnetic spectrum, their effects on human physiology. And a, a big part of those say there is no effect, and another big part of those. I'm um, say there is huge effects and here's the interesting thing when the military is going after funding for weapon systems that mm-hmm. that, that utilize RF like these systems talked about in modern te- tech low intensity conflict and modern technology then they point to those studies that show this this unusual low energy um, output, high um, effect biologically. And then here in Alaska, where they're trying to say, oh, we're just studying the upper atmosphere and the ionosphere, then they blow all that off and they point to the other literature. It's kind of like a lawyer going into a law library. Mm-hmm. Depending on what side of the team he's on, he pulls the right text and makes the argument. But all the text exists to make either
1: argument. All right, try this one out. Um, here is a question from the 747 pilot. Um, Doctor, what effect might harm... HARP have ELF EMP signals on sensitive electronic EFIS cockpit displays in aircraft like Boeing 737, 576, 747s, MD 11s, so forth and so on. In other words, if they fly within the range of this, what would the influence be? The above named aircraft, you see, rely on internal reference units to maintain aircraft attitude, in other words, level. upright flight
2: i'm I'm familiar with this concern because it has been um, explored here in alaska and what what the concern also involves is the more modern aircraft instead of cabling um, linking the flaps they're done by um, they're moved by um, radio signals activating uh, motors or what have you to cause those flaps to move which actually make the planes go up and down and so the concern is well will this interfere with those radio transmissions or will it create Yes. Um, will it Will it make those flaps move when they when, they're, when they and, and limit the um, pilot from exactly. being able to control them exactly. and what the air Force has done is the answer is yes, it can, and the air Force here in Alaska, when they set the system up, set up a radar that supposedly is supposed to capture anyone coming into the area and shut the transmitter off if they get too close so
3: that't okay. create
2: the effect but here's the other part of that equation at the same time they're saying they're guarding against it. In the documents that we found that they produce, they're looking to create what they're describing as a runaway effect in the ionosphere, where there's a huge energy effect. And then the question is, can they shut it off? And that's a really, really important question for pilots to be asking.
1: It is. In addition, when they go to this 100 billion watt mode, uh, and you're talking about a 30 degree beam width coming back to Earth, how do you control aircraft in such a wide zone as that?
2: Exactly. And, and, and that 100 billion watt, again, I want to emphasize, that was the desired level in Technical Memorandum 195 by the government. The absolute required level... Is, is up to 10 billion watts, which is where they're, where they're, where they're headed with this project. In all the right. short term. Everybody
1: needs to know this is not science fiction. Some of it is speculation about effect, but they are really doing this. This project is now built and beginning to operate. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Dr. Nick Begich. Hi.
6: Is this uh, technology similar at all to uh, pulse-modulated RF pain field generator?
1: All right. Uh, before we answer that, uh, where are you?
6: Oh, I'm in Memphis.
1: Memphis, all right.
2: Uh, you know, uh, again, the, you're talking about um, a, a small um, weapon system to create a physiological effect, what they're calling non lethal weapons. And we explore that whole non lethal area in the context of our text. We look at what the U.S. Justice Department's doing for the development of those weapon systems. We look at the DOD, Department of Defense, transfer of that technology. To department of justice for domestic uses and we analyze that and we break down the documents could this in fact create that effect over a large area the answer is yes at the right power levels modulated at the right Mm -hmm. frequency you can create those effects and and those are the things we're concerned about this is a giant non-lethal weapon on the one hand and that's such a misnomer i mean non-lethal what's that mean i mean it's it's a word they're using to sort of downplay these weapon systems. And whenever they refer to them now, you won't see them talking too much about microwave weapons anymore. Now what they're talking about is things that dissolve rubber tires right. and cause people to get caught up in gooey, sticky stuff. You right, know?
1: and also who, uh, even if it doesn't move flaps, uh, I don't know anybody out there who wants a mentally confused 747 pilot. Um, first time caller line, you're on the air with Dr. Nick Begich. Hi. Hi, right, Art. Where are you, sir?
7: Jim in Flacidas, New Mexico. All right. And I'm a 747 pilot. Okay. About three weeks ago, flying between uh, actually New York up over Canada to Anchorage. We have a big base up there. Uh, the airplane has three autopilots. And the airplane went into a slow roll to the left, and we, could, we were running the airplane on on three INS units, all intermixed, talking to each other. All right. Okay. And the airplane turned to the left, reached about a 30-degree bank, disconnected the autopilot, tried B autopilot, same thing, C autopilot, same thing. And this Mm -hmm. lasted for about 15 minutes. We were hand-flying the airplane.
1: In other words, you had triple redundancy, and in each case they were being affected in a similar way, nearly impossible.
7: That's correct. And when you're running in the INS mode, the compass system, the main compass system, is oriented to true north. Yes, sir. However, next to that is a magnetic oh, indicator oh, oh. that is, that is uh, referenced to magnetic north.
1: So and you're thing- saying there was a, uh, you're speculating there was a change in magnetic north.
7: Yes, yes. And, and also, enough
1: to, and where where again did this occur, please?
2: Around Whitehorse. Around- so that would that would be within you know I mean HARP is at uh, uh, Gakona, Alaska, which if you're familiar with that, it's not that's not very far away. I see. You're within a few hundred miles of the HARP transmitter.
1: So all right, it, sir. Well, we
2: we had no idea what was going on.
7: <sighs> and then later, we tried re-engaging the autopilot. One by one, they all worked fine. And and the rest of the flight in Anchorage was uneventful.
1: All right, thank you. Uh, now that's pretty serious stuff.
2: That's exactly the kind of thing that we're talking about. This is this is serious business. You're talking about technologies that you know that are that are they're not so difficult to understand when you when you think about how do you translate it out? And that was really our role when we wrote wrote our book was to translate complex science into into easy-to-understand terms yet leaving the science intact so you can read it at any level and understand it. And it is an important book. And, again, if I can give that number for folks to get that, I sure would like to Yeah, you that. can.
1: Of course you can. No, we're not done. Uh, you're not done. We can't leave it here. East of the Rockies, if you've got a quick question for Dr. Nick Begich, you're on the air. Where are you calling from, please?
8: This is Dave in Illinois. Hi, Dave. Hi. Um, I have a computer program that I've had for a few years, it's designed to allow a person basically to manipulate his own moods by flashes of light on the computer monitor? Yes. Right. And uh, I was wondering, I've used it, and it does work, definitely.
2: It operates between 1 and 30 hertz. Right. It's a brain entrainment device, and there's numbers of those that you can get now. They're, they're fairly well available, both in using light, sound, light-sound combinations, and also using... um um, electric current, and, and, they're, and they're being used in a number of ways. Uh, there's also a whole system of electroacupuncture, laser acupuncture, applying the same principles to creating very large effects with very small inputs.
1: All right, and so that the uh, uh, doctors stand by, so that the audience understands the magnitude of what we're talking about. The science is real. The project is real. The scale is absolutely enormous. This affects people's thinking. You know, what they used to call mind control in the science fiction books? That's what we're talking about. Angels, don't play this harp. My guest is Dr. Nick Begich. He will be back, as will
0: we. You're listening to Art Bell, somewhere in time. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from December 1st, 1995. Somewhere in Time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from December 1st, 1995.
1: Alley-ho in the nighttime, all-night live talk radio. It's your turn with Dr. Nick Begich. He's in Alaska. He's co-authored a book called Angels Don't Play This Harp. Have you ever felt a sudden, unexplainable mood swing? Could it have been harp? Yes. It could be. Are they going to run up the power and run up the bill and really get going with HARP? Well, that is the plan. Will it get funded? Some people say no. Others say the funding to continue HARP and enlarge HARP is a done deal. I think I'm one of those people. I'm sure it's going to get funded. If this is really what they say it is, you know it's going to get funded. We'll be back to Dr. Begich in a moment. now to alaska and dr nick begich doctor how are you um very well thank you uh you're you're doing quite a marathon here (laughs) but this is i i think this is very very important it's something the american people have got to know about and a lot of people out there listening probably their eyes glaze over a little at the technical details but folks this is uh i guess tesla technology being applied in a I don't want to say a haphazard, but in terms of the effect it's going to have on our Earth, uh, a kind of a irresponsible way. I I mean, without knowing what you're doing to the environment you've got to live in, it's a little irresponsible. Uh, Would you use that word?
2: Yeah, and you know, it's going to lead me to, to two points that we've missed. The first point is, you know, has, has the government tried this kind of irresponsible thing in Alaska before? Have they? And let's talk about that. In 1960, early 1960s, Edward Teller, who was like the father of the uh, nuclear age, if you will, came to Alaska with the idea of detonating six thermonuclear bombs to create a bay here, to excavate a bay. The University of Alaska Fairbanks, which is the same university that's supporting this project through their geophysical institute, supported that project. Now, anyone proposing that in 1996, they'd be laughed out of the room as totally insane. Absolutely. And yet, here they were. And the only people that stopped that project in the early 60s was the biological team that happened to be assigned to that project who was able to raise enough of an international... um, complaint, if you will, that they actually shut it down and didn't do it. Instead yeah. they they made the experiments actually unfortunately art in your neighborhood in Nevada. Yes. But but they didn't do it here and it was stopped by biological scientists. And Edward Teller came to Alaska just at the beginning of the HARP project announcing this wonderful new weapon system that they could operate on the north slope of Alaska. <laughs> And I believe it was this system. And what's interesting about that is, when you look at the patents about the ideal location for these kinds of transmitters, it's the North Slope of Alaska, because it's at the, at the North Slope of Alaska where the magnetic lines of force right. intersect the Earth. The closer you can get to that, the easier it is to get the energy into those magnetic lines of force, because it's intended to travel along and to create this huge effect over a large area. The other point that they make is that it just so happens that the north slope of Alaska is holding trillions and trillions of cubic feet of natural gas without a market. They're Mm -hmm. not moving that gas anywhere but pumping it right back into the ground because there's no gas line coming out of Alaska. The other thing that people may not be aware of is there's a lot of national debate on opening the ANWR, which is a wildlife refuge when you look at the map of Alaska on the right side of Prudhoe Bay where the oil is, and we're pumping 2 million barrels of oil at peak out of there, right now about a million and a half barrels a day. But on the left-hand side is the Na- is the Naval Petroleum Reserve, the National Petroleum Reserve, right. which has numbers of wells that have been capped off but drilled to delineate fields. That covers a vast, vast area. <laughs> Excuse me, when yeah. you look at that area, it's the size of many states, um, maybe as big as the state of let me think here a state to give it some some proportional reference, probably the si- size of of um Wisconsin sitting there that's basically petroleum reserve so and here it is. It's a naval petroleum reserve within the middle of that reserve. This system is designed to be modular, movable, and to be able to add on to it incrementally without throwing away any of the old components. In other words, they can move this to set up a site. It didn't take that long. It took about three months to erect, most of the time spent putting in a gravel pad. So here you have the ideal location, the necessary energy reserves owned by the federal government, to affect this kind of system, and what Teller was telling us was that they were going to put them across the northern portion of Alaska, which in fact would give you huge power capabilities because there are what they there are these generators that they have now that weigh about forty thousand pounds that will generate ten megawatts of um, power. And remember, a megawatt in is a gigawatt out. That's right. So here you have the ability to set up these facilities across the North Slope. And these gas fields, these aren't like oil fields in some parts of the world that pump out, you know, 25, 50 barrels of oil a day and a little bit of natural gas. These are pumping out thousands of barrels of oil per well per day and many, many, many cubic feet of natural gas potential that's being reinjected in the field. So one gas well could generate the kind of gas necessary to produce the electricity to produce this kind of effect, and they're small enough. So in other that words, they they've got
1: the, the natural way. resources to drive the generators to produce the power they need to do what they're about to do.
2: Exactly. And ah. the other part is is these are the old dew line sites where they had the radar sites sure. to protect us from incoming. So sure. they already have airstrips, infrastructure, everything is already in place.
1: I've got you. All right, let's go back to the phones. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Dr. Nick Begich. Hi. Hi. Where are you? I'm from Minnesota, uh, out of KSTP. Yes, sir. Yes. What concerns
8: me, and uh, from a lot of studies of my own, is that uh, using this heart program, I'd like to ask Dr. Bigeach if that couldn't be used in Bosnia, Croatia, and Serbia. We not only have their armies and their people, but you're also going to have the Russians in there along yep. with the Americans. It's true. Now, can that be uh, zeroed in in uh, certain areas, either? on the masses in certain cities,
3: all right, all right, or all right. also
8: individuals so uh, their actions or reactions can be controlled. And also, does Mr. Uh, Gingrich, uh, uh, President Clinton, and those high up in office
1: in American politics know about this right now? All right, that's a, that's a good question. We'll hold it there. First, um, he, he raises a very interesting question with respect to Bosnia. If you can use harp technology to irritate human beings, to drive them to um, irrational acts even, um, and we certainly have lots of irrational acts going on in this country and elsewhere, totally irrational, uh, could it be used the other way around? Yes. In other words, could you calm people, literally almost putting them into a comatose or sleep state?
2: Yes, you can. In fact, there was a device used by the, by the um, Russians during the Vietnam War called the LIDA device, L-I-D-A. And that device was used for placing prisoners of war in trance, and it was using um, a, a radio frequency to do it. And what it did is put them in trance, put them in a very relaxed sleep state, where then they could extract intelligence from them. What, you're, what what has happened since then is the development of a new class of weapons that are, you know, HARP is like the biggest one there is. But you know, scaling it down to battlefield type um, equipment, the answer is yes, I, and I believe that the, that the U.S. government and other governments have this technology now. And this, you know, and this kind of begs the other question. And and you know, my area of research before jumping into this project was was electrophysiology and the and basically the other the bright side of this technology in the sense that what's going on with brain entrainment technologies there's a whole array of equipment and research happening all over the world I just returned from a conference in Sri Lanka that was an alternative medicine conference 67 countries represented talking about all of the things that are happening in these in these areas and there's a lot going on this same basic knowledge the same basic science can be applied to living systems in a positive way the kinds of things that are happening with this technology, dealing with, say, hyperactive children,
3: for instance, where
2: where their brain wave frequencies are at a higher rate than they need to be and they can't get focused and they can't concentrate. These same brain entrainment technologies, when deliberately used in a positive way, can slow that brain activity into the range where a child can learn. And and so it is with
1: most technologies, powerful technologies, they can be used for the good or the bad.
4: Exactly. Uh,
1: All right.
6: West of the Rockies, you're on the air with Dr. Nick Begich. Hi. Yes, good morning, Art. Uh, uh, Quick comment. uh, uh, Incidentally, uh, I guess you knew that uh, Secretary Perry came out of the exotic uh, weaponry uh, part of the Pentagon (laughs) when they put him in.
3: Yes. uh,
6: You know, uh, going back a few years in this, uh, uh, resonances were noted in uh, in, uh, geophysical magnetic measurements, uh, gravitational measurements, and this sort of thing. And the people wonder how, you know, a little bit of power, and of course, even a, a gigawatt, at uh, many gigawatts, uh, are relatively small compared to nature's forces. But still, when, you, when you're exciting resonances, uh, and people could do this by holding down a piano string an octave away and slamming and slamming, and slam, and, you know, a string either side, you they will find that the uh, uh, the resonance of that string is affected. But uh, uh, there, there was a uh, a book written called The Body Electric by Robert Becker in a chapter called Maxwell's Silver Hammer might be of interest to people and I suggest that they get the book. We, we quote
2: the- Becker um, extensively in our text. We quote his book Cross Currents in particular and you know all of what you're saying is correct and it's the idea of small input, large output and if it's at the right frequency in the right way you can create profound
1: effects. And you think that's exactly what Harp is going to do.
2: Exactly. And, and, what, and what we had said earlier, and I think several hours ago, <laughs> yes. was the idea that Jose Delgado, while working at Yale University, one of the brightest folks in terms of, of this kind of technology, in terms of brain entrainment and manipulation of brain patterns, found that energy levels at 1 50th, 1 over five zero, of the Earth's naturally occurring energy, um, was sufficient as long as the energy was rhythmic. You know, or or the frequency was rhythmic and in the right waveform. So, in that sense, you know, we have tremendously more energy available with HARP um, and systems
1: sure. like HARP to create those effects. Well, to imagine that our government would not, given the opportunity, like to be able to control behavior around the world or in areas of conflict remotely, electronically, uh, to imagine they would not move forward in these areas, you would have to be one of the more naive people walking the face of the planet. Uh, wild Card Line, you're on the air with Dr. Nick Begich. Hi.
4: Hi. Uh, KABC Los Angeles. Yes, sir. Uh, two questions, Dr. Begich. Uh, would this harp have any effect on what they call the Schumann resonance? And also Vladimir Zarinowski, that Russian, mentioned in a speech one time a thing called a lip talk. Now would that be similar to what you're talking about—that beam weapon or like a scalar weapon?
2: Okay, what, let's let's talk. Let's take the first part of the question um, uh, first, and, and you're gonna have to restate it because now it's getting late. Schuman, <laughs> uh,
1: the Schumann resonance. Okay,
2: Schumann resonance. Right. The, the answer is is yes. Okay, but you know the Schumann resonance at 7.83 hertz, which is sort of the natural pulsation of the Earth. It does vary from place to place slightly, okay? okay? But but if you zero in on that resonance and you and you are pulsing energy at the same frequency, then you're disturbing the earth itself. And in other words, you can create this large, small input again, large output if they if they hit that window frequency that's at the right pulsation of already naturally occurring frequencies, they can create a very large output. And that's where, when we were talking earlier, could it create a pole shift? Could it create some kind of a magnetic shift or some kind of other you know, potential disaster? I think the answer is yes. If it's at the right frequency, right energy level, that resonance effect is, is, is extremely powerful. Now, going back to the question about Zirinovsky and what he was saying, I believe this is exactly the class of weapons and weapons similar to this that he was speaking about and i think the scalar technologies which is a whole nother area that that you know we could spend four hours on on that as well and it's an area that from my perspective i just don't have enough it would take me another year of research to come back and talk four hours and feel like i could be halfway intelligent about it but the fact is that's a whole new area, and there's a lot of things going on in that area. I believe that our government, Soviet government, and other um, developed governments have those kinds of technologies. But the Harp system itself, generating scalar um, waves is kind of the wrong word, but scalars, is, is certainly um, one, of, one of the capabilities when you think of them creating standing waves using two of these, you, you know, creating those scalar scalar effects. All
1: right, you got a second part of the question?
4: Oh, uh, I, I was just going to tell them, if you get a chance, watch a science fiction movie called Quiet Earth. It's not exactly dealing with this, but it's kind of similar. Same
1: idea. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much for the call. Uh, East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Dr. Nick Begich. Hello?
8: Yeah. I wanted to say, if you direct a beam towards Moscow accidentally on wrong frequencies,
1: can the mood swings make it so bad that they fired nuclear weapons at us? (laughs) Um... Well, I suppose you wouldn't want to irritate the Russians any more than you had to, uh, would be the answer to that. Uh, whether you could cause them to, to fire nuclear weapons, I think, is a very different kind of question, impossible to answer. Was to the Rockies, you're on the air with Dr. Would Have Been. Wildcard Line, you're on the air with Dr. Nick Begich. Hi.
5: Hello. How's it going tonight? This is downtown Dave in Anchorage, Alaska.
1: Well, all right. Anchorage to Anchorage. How are yeah. you doing, Dave?
5: Good, good, Nick. I'm the guy that laid your carpet and introduced you to the Art Bell show.
2: Oh, great. Yeah, yeah. I do remember you. How are you doing? Good. I never
5: imagined we'd be on. You'd be on Art Bell. <laughs> but uh, what do you think? Um, are there religious implications of um, Project Harp? Like your comments. Thank you.
1: All right. Uh, religious implications? Uh...
5: Well, you know, it,
2: you know, I've I've read most of the major um, religions to some degree in terms of of study. In a lot of the minor um religious philosophies and 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 kind of where i'm at is you know people kind of arrive at the same point from a lot of different directions and there's a lot and you know we're at the end of the millennium there's a lot of of speculation and oh, yes. religious quarters and by psychics by all kinds of people and then and then here we are on the science side of that equation and yet, we're, we're, we're coming, you know, we're sort of converging on the same sort of conclusions. Yeah,
1: I've always really wondered whether someday science will reach out and touch religion or the other way around it might happen. We've, we've, we've got to move quickly here. West of the Rockies, you're on the air with Dr. Begich. Where are you calling from?
2: I'm calling from Fairbanks.
1: Alaska, all right, good. Go ahead.
2: Um, you mentioned that uh, this project could be used to control people's attitudes. Yes. Um, well, what if the government wanted to go ahead with their plans to establish a new world order. Could this be used to control people's attitudes to accept that? <laughs> Let, you know, that book I quoted earlier called... Um between Two Ages by new Brzezinski, people who have that political belief structure in terms of new world, world order um, will, 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 will immediately zero in on uh, Brzezinski as being one of the big players in that whole line of thinking in terms of having that happen. If people re- read that book, it was written in 1970, and it sort of lays out what he expects to happen over the next 25 years. And, you know, if you read it, he could have been a psychic because he laid it out so clearly as to what would happen, both culturally, economically, and socially, both in the United States and globally. It's scary.
1: I would doubt that they could focus specifically an idea into somebody's head, but certainly well, making, talk about making, that making them out. all right. We will, but making them generally compliant or uh, placid uh, certainly would seem to be within the realm of the current. Capability of the the technology you're talking about, they're working on now. Would that be accurate? Do you think? Um,
2: with HARP as it stands, yes. But let's talk about a technology that was developed. All right. Um, as far back as 1958.
1: All right, let's do that right after the break. We've got 30 more minutes with Dr. Begich from Alaska. Angels don't play this harp. Is the book he co-authored? Pretty strange stuff. Eclectic, like, but that's what we do.
0: We'll be right back. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time on Premier Radio Networks tonight. An encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from December 1st, 1995. listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight, featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from December 1st, 1995.
1: Angels don't play this harp. Advances in Tesla technology. A uh, uh, co authored by Do- Dr. Nick Begich, who is my guest, and we've got just blazing phone lines here, so we're going to try to concentrate this last half hour on those. Now, Doctor, we've got a lot of people on the line. So let's try in the last bit here to run through a bunch of calls, how about That it? sounds great. All right, then here we go. On the first-time caller line, you're on the air with Dr. Begich, hi. Right? Hi. Where are you?
5: I'm in Salt Lake City, Utah. All right. Uh, quick question. In the future, if I call an 800 number, am I west or east? You're west. Okay. Um, I remember about a year ago this last summer, in the summer of 84, uh, 94 rather.
3: Yes,
1: sir.
5: We had a lot of people calling you over a couple week period saying that they were just feeling generally uneasy.
1: Oh yes, I do recall that,
5: yes. That they were feeling, and I remarked at the time because I had been having similar feelings, I went, gee, what is that? And uh, there was never anything anybody could pin on that. Doctor, could this be related? Okay, the Harp facility did not start
2: operating. Uh, the first test was December fifteenth, nineteen ninety four. Ah, so uh, yes,
1: but you said there were other
2: exactly. Uh-huh. <laughs> so there are other um, radio frequency transmitters, and, and you know, and, and I think there's, you know, there's probably I, it would be unre- it would be more unbelievable to suspect that they didn't have smaller units in battlefield um, use at this particular juncture, I, and, and there's a lot of speculation that they utilized um, smaller systems for the Gulf War and some of these larger systems for other Battle
1: Battlefield harp, so to speak, huh?
2: Right. And you know, and what we did in the text is we touched on those things, but we really delineate between what speculation and what the facts are. And as we sure. as we roll through the book, each place where there's a fact, we footnote it right at the bottom of the page so a person can go right to it and know where we drew it from. All right. And and it's it's cleanly laid out so that those kinds of questions
4: can get answered.
1: All right, good. West of the Rockies, you're on the air with Dr. Nick Begich. Where are you calling
4: from, please? Maui, Hawaii.
1: Maui, Hawaii, okay.
4: Yeah, my name is Tim. Uh, Doctor, I've got a couple questions for you. And, of course, uh, I don't know if you folks remember or not, but when the daily briefing officer came out at the end of the air war, and when they were ready to start the ground war in the, in the, in the Middle East War, the daily breathing officer stated that uh, now we're going to turn on the psyops. He caught himself very quickly began to change his approach of what he was saying. And it, of course, was very mysterious that they all just surrendered after they were dug in and entrenched for a long time. But that's not sure. my question. It is uh, a good point, though. Yeah, um, good point. and that that can be documented, by the way. That is on tape. Um, we're down here in Hawaii. I'm an electromagnetic engineer. And, uh, we've been keyed into this thing since, uh, about March or April. I've read your, uh, not your book, but I've read your article in the, uh, Tesla, uh, uh, Extraordinary Science. And um gotten some additional information. I've also read the Eastland patents completely, and I understand them, of course. And uh, the thing is, is that we're hearing here, actually hearing, and I'd say it's four out of ten people are hearing a very high-frequency pitched sound. In my mind, I used to work in the studios. It sounds like it's about anywhere from 14 to 16 K, meaning as far as kilohertz are concerned, uh, an audible frequency. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> But the, the thing that we're finding is, is that when we take a regular audio spectrum analyzer, we're not able to at all identify this frequency in terms of any amplitude over normal base uh, ambient uh, amplitude of all. Uh, sound let, heard. Let, me, let
1: me stop you and ask you, uh, throughout the Hawaiian Islands on Maui, how widespread?
4: It's everywhere. We can even go down into deep gulches and ravines where there is absolutely no RF. And by the way, we have a... Uh, uh we have a uh, 15 uh 14 gigahertz spectrum analyzer we're trying to get a 50 Ku uh ka band spectrum analyzer amp so that we can see if this uh is a much higher frequency but uh we were able to take a automobile radar unit which will detect ka uh, ka band which is between 43 and 50 some gigahertz right and uh we were able to find uh certain carrier waves but they were coming off the top of the crater here i think you're familiar with mali sir Right. And uh, or I believe you're going to come here shortly uh, anyway um, the um, uh, the the tests that we've done virtually everywhere, not only on this island but on other islands with the spectrum analyzer and with other various detector devices um, have have uh, literally evaded us as to the source of what we're hearing, and there are far too many people here who are in fact hearing it for it to be simply anomalous in my hearing. I worked in studios in Los Angeles for years, and I keyed and tuned up my ears to hear very slight nuances of sound changes. And uh, The bottom line here is, is that um, this is so loud at night when the actual ambient uh, noise level or noise floor of the environment that I live in, right. and Maui is a very quiet place we don't have a lot of traffic and things here, that um, sometimes I find myself literally waking in the middle of the night. I've also had myself... During the middle of the day, literally going to brain lock, literally where I have had no ability to understand who I was, where I was, and I was in my own house. I was going to the refrigerator, as it turned out, and it lasted for 10 seconds. And um, I shook it off, meaning I shook my head and I go, What in the world is going on here? But it was very strange. I, we also periodically, in surveying people, have found that people um, have had strange pains in their, in their side of their head on the left side. A pain that periodically maybe only happens uh, once a month, but the pressure and the pain of it is so great that you literally feel like you're going to drop to the floor.
3: All right. Well, i
4: just like to you know it. I think that in studying how they're projecting this, this pattern and this beam. Many times I think they may be testing it out over the ocean possibly or on a uh, grid line or flux line over the ocean, and I think that something is going on here on a full-time basis. They're all right, also all right a, sir. They're also building a particle accelerator on top of the crater here. All
1: right, thank you. Um, that's from Maui. That's quite a story.
4: If, if I can respond
2: to that. I've heard rumor that there is um, a small RF transmitter being used on Maui. I'll be there sometime in early March to lecture. But when you talk about the impact on individuals, and because you're technically oriented, there's a patent that you should look up. It's number 3393279, and it was issued to Patrick Flanagan on July 16, 1968. And what it is is it's for a device called a Neurophone that was ro- also written up in um, the September fourteenth, nineteen 1962 um, copy of Life magazine. And the Neurophone is a device that takes sound digitizes that sound, and then inputs it through any nerve ending where it ends up in the brain. So it sounds like you're hearing something, but it's done with an electromagnetic digitized transmission. And when he first invented this this device, it was in the early 50s, or excuse me, the late 50s, and he applied for a patent, and it took him seven years to finally get that patent. And what happened is the patent office denied it, said it'd never work. He took the device in asked if there was a deaf employee or someone deaf on the staff that they could test us with. They had one, a deaf person, came in. They hooked him up to the neurophone. For the first time in 15 years, the guy could hear. They immediately opened the case file, granted him the patent. Subsequently, he then applied a month later for a second patent that he had developed working in a Navy project on dolphin speech through Tufts University. That was an even finer um, sound quality. I mean... Very fine sound quality. Immediately upon filing, the United States Navy seized it under a national security order for six years and locked oh. it up. And that technology has been around a long time. And I was in, I was with Patrick two weeks ago and tried one of these neurophones. Yes. And it works as advertised. You hook it up. I hooked it up to my thumbs and there are two electrodes with capacitors. It took, uh, Joukowsky, ran the sound through the conditioner, which was the neurophone, into the electrodes, and it was like when you imagine a piece of music in your head, forget concentrating on it and crank the volume up ten notches, and that's what you get in a neurophone. And he's mentioned, and this technology is mentioned in our book, as sort of an indicator of what has the U.S. government done since 1967 when they originally seized that patent. What have they done to develop that technology, and could they have developed it wireless? And we don't know the answer to that, but we do know the technology existed then. In fact, that, that technology and the other things that Patrick has developed over the years is the subject of a forthcoming book. It's our next project that's coming out sometime in the
9: spring.
1: All right. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Dr. Nick Begich. Hi.
9: Hello, Art. Hello, Doctor. This huh. is Dorothy in Liberal, Kansas.
1: Hi, Dorothy. I
9: uh, have a similar story to your fellow in Maui. <laughs> um, Two different things here. At least three times since last winter, a friend and myself had witnessed something like lines in the sky radiating from the ground up and then being intersected like a grid in the sky. At least three different times, last winter, in the spring, and then this uh, past summer. At the, the one time that we noticed, it was just several days later, that the temperature shot up to about 90 degrees in January. Now tomorrow it's going to be about 85 here. The other thing is people are getting ill here, and whatever this is, it's affecting the ears, total disorientation, um, and I do have a place over on my left side of my head that starts burning and stinging and hurts um, periodically. don't know what it is.
2: You know, we've heard these reports out of Oregon. We've heard them out of New Mexico, um, now Kansas, and uh, and Maui as well. You know, I don't have an answer for it because the way I approach things is to, I try to stay, you know, quantitative if I can sure. show something that's really solid. What I can tell you is there were various campaigns on the Heart project that did run um, in December, They did run, you know, through the winter. There was additional campaigns in the spring and in the summer. So, you know, could it be? Maybe, but you know, it is speculation. But I would suggest this: that again, when you you've got all of these things happening naturally in the environment, and then you have this addition of a small amount of energy, could these effects occur? The answer is absolutely yes. All right, doctor.
1: Hold on just a moment. We'll be right back to you. My guest is Dr. Nick Begich. Uh All right, trying to squee- squeeze in as much as we can here, Doctor. Um, uh, from Madison, Wisconsin, you're on the air with Dr. Nick Begich.
8: Thanks to you, Art, for getting this out on the air. Uh,
2: like getting a
8: lottery to get through.
2: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you're getting so big. You're so successful. Anyway,
8: listen, this is the state that experienced uh, possibly... The ELF project, in a big way, the first time they turned it on, we had huge downburst winds, 60 miles an hour. We had thunderstorms. We had lightning and thunder, even in the winter. And, you know, I'm wondering what the correlation between Project ELF here and Project HARP there is. Are they really identical
2: projects? What what you have here is a one, One other question, too. But go
8: ahead. Well,
1: one at a time.
2: What you have here is a much more advanced technology. I mean, it's like comparing a UNIVAC computer filling up a warehouse to a pocket calculator in terms of concentrating the power. They've just gone so much further with the technologies that what they can do with this tool is, is its much more controllable, much more versatile. It just has, the capabilities, you know, are just, are just incredible. And it's, you know, going back to what they originally built in Wisconsin, it was predominantly a communication device that did have a number of these side effects. But I don't believe at that point in the game that they were really looking so much for that as, as maybe just playing with it, trying to see where the perimeters were. But this, I believe, was deliberately designed to create all of these effects that over the last 30 and 40 years, they've been building towards the only thing they were lacking were these last few patents that gave them the capacity to focus that energy and deliver it to the ionosphere so they could create a global effect and you know what this speaks to is is a, is a document that we found and it was the last one of the last documents we found which was a put together by the United States military and it's called Uh, the revolution in military, uh, military affairs and conflicts short of war. And it was put out by the U.S. Army War College. And what it discusses is that the, in order to introduce these kinds of new technologies, it will require a revolution in the way people view things. And what specifically that means is, is that in order to introduce technologies that have these kinds of effects, they have to change the way the American people Mm -hmm. look at the world. And what they specifically say in that document is that without changing the way Americans look at the world and look at their freedoms, these kinds of new technologies will be resisted. And so in this document that the government put together, it's a 36-page document, well-resourced. We provide it as one of our sort of resource materials to book buyers, and it's sort of referenced in the back. But it it really lays out what their intention is, and their intention is to introduce these new weapons by first changing the way the public will view them by creating an environment
1: all right, we're, where we will accept. Them. All right, we're very short on time. You had a second part. To yeah, I,
8: I work in the mental health industry, or I used to, and and I, I'm wondering if the if a lot of crazy people aren't like the canaries in the in the mine in this situation because I noticed when I was working a group home for retarded adults that after they turned Elf on, a lot of them just started acting stranger and stranger, and I always wondered if it had anything to do with that. And it, I'm just wondering if there's a, just a level. Of resistance that certain people have to this, and I'll get off. Thank yeah, you. The,
2: each each person you can look at each person as a transducer, something that changes energy from one form to another. And each of us is unique and different. So how we each individually handle energy is unique and different. It's like in Maui, four out of ten people hear the thing, and the rest, the other six, don't. It's because their physiology is such, biochemically and electromagnetically they're more sensitive in certain areas. Likewise, I think a lot of mental illness and what we were finding in a lot of, um, it's, it's, it's so new, I mean, it's just leading edge, but what they're finding is that by manipulating brain frequencies deliberately and with understanding, they can change brain states and make unhealthy people healthy and vice versa. So, so a, there's a cuts, lot going on It in cuts
1: both area. ways. All right, maybe one more very quickly. West to the Rockies with Dr. Begich. Hello. Yes. Yeah.
9: Great show, Art. Um, Can you hear me?
1: Uh, I can hear you. Where are you?
9: I'm calling from Phoenix, Arizona. Phoenix,
1: all right. Uh, Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Real quick.
9: Okay, previously on one of your shows, you had someone who talked about the tunnels, underground bases. uh, Yes. And that they do exist, et cetera. And the closing down of some of the military bases um, didn't seem like it was something we should be doing at the time. Right. But um, if this uh, is uh, capable of creating a complete disorientation among us, number one, could it possibly be used... To disorient a certain amount of the, of the population here in America so that a certain echelon or special people are allowed to escape to the tunnels if there is a coming global catastrophe.
1: All right. Uh, very quickly, doctor, because we're about out of time. But
2: basically, you know, I, I, I don't know the, the earlier show, but can it disrupt my mental function a large percentage of the population? The answer to that is yes.
1: All right. I want to tell you it has been enlightening, to say the least, a little frightening. A little hopeful, but um, and and so I don't know how to feel about it. Uh, I guess it's going to go on whether we want it to uh, or not. That's, I guess, the way I feel. I mean, we might write letters to congressmen or senators, but the bottom line is I'll bet this sucker gets funded no matter what we do, doctor. So we're going to come back to you at some point as you find out more, which you're doing, I know. Yes, indeed. With input, and I'm sure you want input from other people. You
2: bet. If people call that number and, and uh, get our mailing address off of, off of that message um, message system, we sure would like to hear from you. If you have something out there that you believe we need to know about, we sure would like to have it, and we'll get it out to the American people.
1: Dr. Begich, it has been a pleasure. Thank you.
2: Thank you very much.
1: All right, everybody. Thank you. It has been a pleasure. We'll be back with um, A Dreamland on Sunday. And then the regular syndicated program, Monday night, Tuesday morning. Thank you all for a wonderful week of talk radio. And from the high desert, good night, America.